Salutations. This is RPG Backtrack host Phil Willis. Due to an unforeseen issue with the recording hardware setup, the quality of the show is subpar. Indeed, throughout the show you will hear dreadful noise distortions, various background noises, and other atrocious interruptions to what is normally a delightful podcast. I humbly apologize to you, our loyal listeners, as I bear total responsibility for this oversight. I beg your forgiveness and ask for your patience. Should you do so, you will be aptly rewarded with a thorough run-through of some of the best and worst Tales games of all times, peppered with the characteristic moments of backtrack hilarity. Thank you for your patronage, and enjoy the show. So, I understand you three are seeking the perfect vacation spot, is that right? Well, I have a lovely world full of trees that suspend the continents on their tops. Do mind the poisonous gas underneath those continents, though. It can be quite unpleasant. Oh gosh, I have serious acrophobia. I don't think I want to fall down. What's the next choice? Oh, we have a place here with uh, beautiful background music using real instruments instead of exclusively, uh, exclusively using synthesizers. Um, we're not entirely certain why this place has background music to begin with, but that's kind of a relevant point. Um, I should probably mention that there's been a prevalence of kidnappings in the region, but it's been a bit exaggerated. It's really not all that bad. That's terrible! Abducting people for no reason? What kind of a world is that? If the music was nothing but synthesizer, I could understand, but if those people have real musicians, they don't need ransom money. Next! Then how about a lovely place that feeds on your nostalgia? You've certainly been there before, or you wouldn't even consider going now. So thrilled, some new memories that feed off the old. But that's only for my parents. I want new memories. I don't rem- want to remember what's been done before. Next. Sonny boy, we're going to have a talk about how nice rose-colored glasses attached to a belt are when we get home. That's right. But so I don't have to deal with your squawking right now, what else can we see? Well, if you don't want nostalgia, how about a place that's different every time you visit? The locales are nothing but cheap sets that get shuffled around every few minutes, so uh, you can thrill at the new places that look sufficiently like the old ones and, well, they're kind of poorly made. Son, if you say yes to this, I'm cutting you loose from the family. Oh, okay. I really, really wanted to see the cheap sets, too. Alright, I have just the thing for you. It's got excitement and the highest production values around. That's right. You only need to stay inside our special blast day, only $99.95 to get this part of this package, or else the local fauna will see how delicious you taste at every moment. Just the thing! I've been waiting to try my elephant gun! And I've been waiting to try my flash grenades. Dad? Well, I'm tinkering with this grenade launcher on the flag. I better listen to the RBG backtrack. fail as he attempts to host the show solo. Our all-man panel of guests go through the last five North American Tales games before diving into a couple found off our main shores. John attempts to see just how far he can stretch our PG rating as Adrian stretches his RPG knowledge to its limits. Throw in a quick conversation about the recently re-released Neverwinter Nights and you have tonight's lineup on this 30-second episode of RPG Backtrack.
Welcome to RPG Backtrack, where we discuss computer and console RPGs from way back when and right up to yesteryear. It's also the place where we can't pronounce any proper nouns, encourage spoilers, and the host is grabbing this show solo by its tail. I'm Phil Lewis, and my esteemed colleague, Mr. Mike Meekie, couldn't make it today. Welcome to RPG Backtrack number 32, a whale of a tale about the tales, tale, tales. You're going to have to look at that one online to kind of figure out, wait, tales, tall tales, yeah. Gosh dang it, where does he come up with these things? Oh, he's not even here to defend himself, so I won't pick on him too bad. That's Mike's, Mike Meeky's, uh title there. Anyways, I am not alone, however, in talking about this whale of a tale about Tales, Tall Tales games. I have three esteemed colleagues who know a lot more about the Tales series than I ever will. First up, we have Mr. John Yearsworth, a.k.a. John Callender. Welcome back to the show. Yep, I'm glad to be here to wow people with my accent, as per usual. And we very much appreciate you having on. How are things going for you? Not too bad. Yeah? Not too bad. Doing okay? Well, if... Sorry? I said, are you doing okay? Yes. Get any cool, really neat Christmas presents this year? Uh, well, technically, I got this, this new laptop about two weeks before Christmas because my other one broke. Oh. Is it really cool? Can it play, like, the latest games? Got, like, an onboard graphics card that just screams... Uh, no, it, it does actually do a reasonable job of, of playing more recent stuff, unlike my other one didn't. Mm, so it plays Pagel. Yeah. Okay. Actually, no, it's doing a reasonably good job of playing Civilization V. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, that's pretty... That, that's good pretty, choice. Yeah, that is a good choice, and it is pretty graphically demanding at the same time. So uh, it used to, used to be you can play Civ games on just about anything, but the later ones... Four, 4 brought my computer to its knees when it first came out. I had to buy a new computer just for 4. <laughs> So I'm sure 5 is just even that much bigger. I haven't got it yet, though. I'm waiting for it to go on Super Sale with the Game of the Year edition. I'm still working my way through 4, so... Um, and we have Mr. Adrian Din... Odin? Alden? Lefton? Alston? The second one was right. All right. Mr. Adrian Din Odin, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm um, okay, and it's Din Alden. Yeah? You had it right oh, the second Din time, Alden. the third time. Ow! Alden! Okay, got it. So, what's fun, new, and exciting with you? Oh, this and that, you know. Yeah. You know how it goes in these uh, in, in these sorts of things. Playing anything new, fun, and exciting lately? I've been playing a lot of Rock Band 3, which is uh, entertaining. Ah, that, that is a picture. Rocking out to your guitar there or there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, do drums. you just do, you do the, the drums? drums? Oh, you do the drums. Okay. Banging down with the drums. And um, did you get anything cool, fun, and exciting or was, uh, for Christmas, or was that Rock Band? Actually, I got a... Uh, an, a Nintendo 64. So uh, in a, in the future, I might ha- if I can track down one of the I don't know five or so RPGs that were released on that system, I might have something to talk <laughs> back on a future backtrack. Oh, Over Battle 64 for the win. All right, yeah, uh, Super Mario RPG. Those are the only two I think I can remember. Actually, there are more. Hmm. There are about five or six of them total. Uh, yeah. So uh, you have you been asking for for that from Santa for a while in Nintendo 64? Oh no, it's not really that. It's uh. I had one when I was growing up, but it, my cousin spilt some juice on it, and oh, the ooh. power button got reset. Uh, the, the reset button got stuck, so it would it would still work, but only for about two seconds at a time. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't have it anymore. I didn't have it. I had to trade it in, sell it, and uh, so I just picked up a new one now. I got a new one now for Christmas, so I can uh, start playing those games again. Well, you might want to be careful because if you're naughty, uh, next year Santa Claus might bring you Superman 64. 
So just warning you now, that's not a, that's not something you want to have happen. It's just woo doggy. And uh, and for the uh, and well, we got we got a new well. He's he's he's, he's this is actually what your 18th time on the show, Mr. Michael. It's Mr. Michael iPhone apps. How are you doing today? What? <laughs> it's Mr. Uh, Michael. Mr. Michael, I, iPod apps. You can't just have apps by itself. Anytime I see the word apps, it always has the word iPhone or iPod in front of it. So yeah, your new name is iPhone apps. See, I told you you'd never heard this one before. Actually, I hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I told you it was completely original. <laughs> just... <laughs> No sarcasm whatsoever. I just, I, I knew that with three. How are you doing today, Mr. Mike? Pretty good. I mean, the good news, I mean, I, as much as I would, I hate the fact that Mr. Mickey isn't with me tonight. The good news is I can't get terribly confused. There's only one mic, huh? Yay. And only one iPhone app. It's like you're, I am the mic. you're like an iPhone app for our show. Oh. That's awesome. So <laughs> what's, what's new with you? Play anything new, fun, and exciting lately? Well, I actually did just get an iPod. Did you really? Yes. Oh, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> We're never going to let this one go, are we, guys? Oh, uh, uh, no. So, uh, oh, hey, that's another thing. We have an all-man cast tonight. Woohoo! Party on! So, so, have you been playing anything fun and exciting on it? Uh, yes, but mainly these days I am only playing Resonance of Fate. Ah, and how is that going for you? Is that a good game? Because, I mean, that, that's one that divides a lot of people. And I would say roughly one-third of the people I've talked to say they like it, and two-thirds say it's too complicated. Well, I have hated almost every other Tri-Ace game I've played, and I absolutely love this game. What do you... I mean, I, get, get to the core of the matter. What about the battle system? Because that's... I mean, it, 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 from what I understand, it has a pretty decent story. Uh, the, the graphics are a little hit or miss, but we don't really jump into RPGs mostly for the graphics. Though I do like the fact we can dress up the characters however you want. But <laughs> it's dressed me up action figures. But what about, I mean, really, it really comes down, you spend a lot of time in this battle system here, and that's where the main criticism uh, those uh, critics bring against it. What do you think about a battle system? Uh, I think it's just fantastic. And I, at the same time, I can completely understand why some people might not get into it. Because the game is so focused on the battle system, if you don't happen to like it, you, it's going to be really hard for you to like anything about this game. But I just think it's this fantastic and complicated masterpiece that, you know, it, it, the piece when, when the pieces to it are actually pretty simple. And I, I actually don't think it's that complicated. And I'll tell you, I, I haven't uh, looked lately, but I remember seeing Resonance on Fade on sale on a couple of sites, including Amazon, for, like, what was it, 15 20 bucks. Yes. That's a bargain deal. I got it at 40 myself, but um, no, I mean, I, I got, I, go ahead. I got it for 28 Well, there you go. So, I mean, it's yep. you know, it's a good time to pick it up and, and get it while it's on sale because it might be something that goes up in price later on if, if it gets a little sh- uh, short in supply there. Yes, and it's certainly not your run, run-of-the-mill RPG, so I recommend people at least give it a shot. Alrighty, and is the i the to go back to the iPhone request? Was that your big Christmas present? Uh, no, that was actually a friend of mine who was getting rid of his old iPhone, so he kind of just gave that to me. Ah, 
And I'll tell you guys, what I've got this year is, is a very beautiful uh, uh, sand, I don't even know how to call it, it's sand in a frame. You, you flip it over and the, there's water and sand inside of this frame. So when you flip it over, these air bubbles rush up to the sand that's now at the top. And the sand will slowly fall down, almost like it's in an hourglass. But it, it happens slowly because it's in water and the bubbles are holding a lot of it back. So as it falls, the sands form what looks like mountains and stuff. And there's glitter mixed in. It's a really, really beautiful thing. Um, I don't even know officially what it's called. I call it a sand frame. Uh, I'm not even sure how you'd find it. Maybe I'll have to take some pictures and put it up on Facebook or something. But it's real pretty. So uh, the second thing I got was from one of my friends was Transformers at War for Cybertron. Oh my gosh, I can't get enough of that. I, I want to play through it. Have y'all played it? Have y'all played it? Have y'all played it? No. No? No, but I've heard it's really good. OMG. If you like, if you like Transformers the cartoon, you've got to play this game. Because, I mean, listening to Megatron yelling at his Decepticons never gets old, especially when you're playing Megatron. So, it, it, it mixed, it's back in the Cybertron uh, before the cartoon and whatnot, so it's filling in a lot of the backstory. You get to see, I, I've been through the Decepticon campaign since we do spoilers on the show. You get to see how uh, 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 Starscream came onto the Decepticons and his early attempts to kind of get underneath a, a Megatron's skin and try to usurp uh, his leadership and whatnot. It's really cool. Um, you get to see a lot of interaction between Megatron and his right-hand man, Soundwave. Um, you don't really get to see a whole lot of that in the show as much as you get to see it in this game. And you, and you really play through this cataclysmic, huge, ongoing battle with Megatron, the Decepticons, and Omega Supreme. It is just freaking awesome. So you got to give that a shot. And um, I, I was waiting for it to go on sale. And I guess my friend just went ahead and bought it retail, which I think right now it's like $40. I'm playing the PC version. And I just started the Autobots uh, Autobots campaign where Optimus Prime has had to assume command because Megatron has taken out the uh, current leader of the Autobots before Optimus was in control, Zeta Prime or whatever his name is. So absolutely cool. Really fun to watch the interaction between these guys as you're playing through it. The game mechanics themselves, very solid third-person shooter, so check it out. But this is not the Transformer backtrack. I guess it's RPG backtrack. So let's talk about an RPG. Um, I've been looking at our news for the last couple of weeks, and I see that Steam has released Neverwinter Nights 2, uh, on its downloadable service. Uh, this is one I've been kind of waiting for for a while. I've been playing, um, Neverwinter Nights 1 on and off, and I did put some time on 2 when it first came out. Um, this is, uh, this was released back in 2006, I believe, October 31st to be exact, in North America, uh, published by Atari. And um, uh, this is a Microsoft Windows game. It's also available on Mac. Awesome. It's rated T for teens. Mr. John, I understand you've also played a little bit of this, right? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I must admit, from a, from a personal perspective, I think I, must, I did prefer um, uh, the original Neverwinter Nights over Neverwinter Nights 2. Neverwinter Nights 2 is definitely a graphical upgrade to the original. Um, but uh, I think I, I just kind of felt the feel of the... You know, I just kind of liked the original game slightly more, sort of thing. Kind of hard to describe, really. Well, I think part of the, I think part of the challenge was... I think Neverwinter Nights 2 went to the 3.5 or 3.8 or whatever it was, a roll set. 3.5, I believe. 3.5. It's like you played Neverwinter Nights 1, and I, I, I mean, that had some 3.5 in it, but Neverwinter Nights 2 took it up to the new level. There's all new classes... Um, I played, uh, I forget, when I played it through, I was playing a, I forget what it was, not a wizard, but 
kind of a, a spell casting class that's kind of like the wizard, but it isn't. It isn't a sorcerer, and it isn't a wizard mage. Maybe it's called a wizard. I can't remember, but artificer. No, no it's some funky class. Anyways, my whole point, the, the the whole thing was it was a spell with some sort of warlock. Warlock. That's what it was. And, uh, and the spell casting for a warlock works completely different than a sorcerer or a mage. Uh, but there were a lot of new feats, a lot of new classes that you really had to stop studying and learn. And if you're not into doing that for your RPGs, you just want to jump in and play, the game did a very poor job of holding you uh, by the hands and, and trying to teach that to you. I mean, the thing came with like an 80 or 100 page instruction book for crying out loud. So if you're into diving into those things, then there's a lot to get to get out of it. Um, it was buggy, a little bit buggy on release. I believe most of that's been worked out, and I think that took a little bit of wind out of its sails when it first started. And like you said, it's definitely... the, uh, the the patches for for Neverwinter Nights two were huge. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. And um, um, but I mean, once it got going, it was it was pretty good. I, I don't th- I think you're right as far as I don't think it ever really attained the the level of uh, popularity and stuff that Neverwinter Nights 1 did. But it, it does have, like I said, it's a graphical overhaul. I personally found the story to be a little bit more engaging, but I found the combat uh, uh, more difficult to get into. So I think that that... that I, and I think it's probably why this is probably the last game that really tried to force the D&D paper rules into uh, into a computer role-playing game. Because by the more faithful these games got to the rules, the more convoluted the combat became and, and whatnot. But maybe I'm wrong. You guys can tell me what you think. I highly encourage our listeners to do a two-minute audio review and email that to jcservant at rpgamer.com. That's my plug. <laughs> what, what, uh, what, did, what did you feel about the the characters in the story? I know you didn't, you didn't get uh, all the way through, but uh, did you get a feeling for the story and stuff compared to the first one? I I think I I think I kind of stopped a little bit too early to really um to to kind of let the, the cast of characters grow. I mean, I probably didn't recruit hadn't recruited half of them by the time I stopped. So um <laughs> it's kind of hard it's kind of hard, kind of hard to make a judgment on them really. Yeah, and a big draw about the Neverwinter Nights uh, one. I mean, granted, yeah, well, the main campaign I guess is is a draw for it, of course. And but I mean, when you look at Neverwinter Nights one, it wasn't like its campaign was was what's the word I'm looking for, super exciting. <laughs> it, it wasn't, it, it, the, the, the story was a, a little bit dry and the way the, the quest played out and stuff to come across a little bit dry. It wasn't the highlighting. The highlight of the game was the tool set which would allow you to make your adventures or you could go online and download characters and portraits and adventures that other car- uh, other people had made. Um, I don't, I, maybe it was because they didn't have as big of an audience or stuff, but I, I, I didn't see quite as much out there for Neverwinter Nights 2. So, it, it is. Uh, it is going. Uh, it'll be. It's twenty dollars on Steam. I know until eleven a.m. tomorrow, which we won't get the podcast up that fast. <laughs> it's it's half price for for ten dollars um, as a special introduction. But um, at least at eleven a.m. my time. I think that's one p.m. Eastern. But I, I think for ten or twenty bucks, if you're a fan of D and D games, you play D and D in the past, you like playing the pen and paper, um, check it out. You know, do download some of the adventures and give those guys a try. I mean, it's ten or twenty bucks. You're not going to lose out a lot, especially if you're, you know, really into reading, uh, getting in deep into uh, RPG battle systems and character building systems. The one in the three point five rule set is very, very deep, and they've done their best. I think Neverwinter Nights Two is probably the most comprehensive computerized realization of the D&D 3.5 rule set. Now we have the D&D 4 rule set, and if we ever see another D&D um, 
uh, video game come out again, I'm sure it would be based off of the newer uh, 4.0 rule set. So this is probably your last great attempt to to play with uh, the older rule sets that are out there. And like I said, this is very, very comprehensive. I mean, it's got the prestige classes, tons of feats and abilities. Um, it's just absolutely it's incredible. Every, it's got every, like, single off, you know, it's got the regular races you'd probably mm. come to expect from D&D, but it also has, I think, like, just about every single offshoot you could possibly imagine, yeah. uh, along with their respective race bonuses and all that. It, it's very in-depth. And it even had even had ability to to make your own armors and stuff. I mean, there was crafting systems built into it. I never got into them, so I'm not going to speak upon them. But I remember reading uh, a little bit about that in the instruction books. It just it is very it's a very deep game from top to bottom. If you're looking for a deep single player experience, it, it it actually is pretty. It is very solid as far as a game goes. Once it was all patched up and stuff. Uh, the story's decent. The graphics are pretty decent for it, especially you know if you take its age into account. Um, it's just that the gameplay mechanics—it's almost like Resonance of Fate, where it's you've got to spend the time learning it to get the most out of it. If you're just jumping in, expecting something super you know easy and intuitive with a thorough tutorial that's going to explain to you all the ropes within the first 30 minutes, you're not going to find it with the Neverwinter Nights too. Um, but if you're looking for something that's deep and that you're going to really be able to sink your teeth into and and play through multiple times and try totally different characters that have totally different, you know, uh, combat experience and whatnot. This is definitely a good one, especially for only uh, twenty bucks. And and the the Steam version does include the expansions Max of the Betrayer and Storm of Zaheer, which I would just love. Uh, you know, it's actually one of my little twenty eleven goals. We'll see if it happens <laughs> to play through and review those for RP Gamer because we we never really did get reviews of those guys done. As, I, at least Storm of Zaheer, so. Alrighty, so that's Neverwinter Nights 2. Anything else, John, before we move on? No, no, I think that's about all I can really say on it. I, I, if I can find my disc, I, I may go back to it. Mm. So I have, I, have, I have enough fun with my own tabletop adventures these days. Mm. Are you, did you say you're playing Neverwinter Nights 1 right now? No, I'm playing Civ 5 right now. Oh, Civ 5, right. <laughs> what is Michael? Michael, you playing Neverwinter Nights 1? I've played it, yes. Well, but you're not playing it, like, currently. No, you, the, the funny thing about Neverwinter Nights 1 is I put, like, tons of hours into it, but never finished any of the official campaigns. I just kind of screwed around with, like, different downloadable modules and things like that. Yeah, I did a lot of that, too. I, I got, I got like, I got, like, two-thirds of the way through the primary campaign, even though I had the expansions I hardly ever touched, uh, with a, dru- a druid I made. Unfortunately... That was when my computer decided to take it down, but I moved on to a new computer, and I just really didn't want to go through those beginning quests again. It's just that little paladin woman, what's her name? Whatever her name is. Her voice is irritating. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to work for her anymore. I want to become an evil character and beat the crud out of her. Uh, if it was a real D&D game, true D&D game, it would let me do that and enjoy my satisfaction for beating... Anyways... So, with uh, Mr. Calendar's blessing, we're going to take a little bit of a break because we're going to have a nice, huge segment of Tales games coming up right after this musical selection.
we're talking about Tales games. This is our what is it, second or third show on Tales games now. Uh, where this this one is about the later iterations that have come out. This should bring this series, uh, the five games we talk about today, should bring us right up to the current day and age of Tales games. So the first one on the list is Tales of Legendia for the PlayStation Two, developed and published by Namco. Uh, this is released in February 7, 2006. This is a single-player RPG experience, and it is rated T for Teens. So, Adrian, please set the stage for us. So, Tales of Legendia follows uh, a kid named Senel and his sister Shirley, who are uh, running away from something you don't know at the start of the game. Uh, and they're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and uh, in, during a storm, and they end up washing ashore on a gigantic uh, floating island that turns out to actually be a gigantic ship from a lost civilization. And the entire game takes place on this ship, uh, chasing after Shirley, who's kidnapped by, uh, I think, half a dozen or so people over the course of the game. Uh, it's... It's an interest. It's an interesting uh, game in the series, as it's uh, it it does uh, it does a lot of things differently. Uh, it's it's not a very traditional Tales title. Uh, it actually has a had a special team uh, during its development uh, that was composed of partly people from the traditional t- uh, Namco's Tales studio, as well as the uh, developers of the Soul Calibur series. I didn't know that. Learn something new every day on RPG Backtrack. Yep. That's been, that's been a useful history lesson. Yeah. Please do continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I've pretty much caught everyone up to speed. The uh, The story is basically Senel and his friends that he dis- uh, meets along, on this island chasing after Shirley. Mm-hmm. Any, anything going farther than that would be major spoilers. We like major spoilers. This is RPG backtrack. <laughs> we laugh at spoilers. <laughs> I just I just gave away the entire plot of, uh, you know, the war for Cybertron. <laughs> yeah, just, not that there's much plot to begin there, whatever is there, I just ruined it for everybody. Um, so, so this is, uh, this is your typical Tales game, which means I'm going to imagine without actually have played it myself that there's a lot of uh, this uh, side battle 2D action is that true? Actually, it's an atypical Tales game uh, in that uh, a lot of the mechanics are very different from what you normally expect. It is a side battle 2D uh, sort of uh, linear battle system, but this is actually a departure away from the last game in the series, which was Symphonia, which brought it into 3D. Uh, in this game, uh, because it had developers from Soul Calibur, the combat system actually ends up playing out. Something like a more like a traditional fighting game. Uh, the uh, it, it's interesting that when you're uh, in combat, the uh, your attacks have a uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it like a memory an attack memory. So you can put a bunch of attacks into a queue, and it'll always perform all the attacks in your queue, even if uh, you're farther into the queue and it hasn't uh, caught up yet. And uh, you can do other things like uh, you can throw your enemies if you knock them down and things like that. So it, it's a very different tales game. Uh, and not all those changes worked out all that well. I, I was about to ask how, how, how does this all mesh together? It definitely does sound a lot more physical and hands-on than some of the Tales battle systems I've experienced in the past. Did that work for it? Um, it it did and it didn't. Uh, there was 
it, it, it really depends on who you talk to about this. Um, most people will agree that it's not the best battle system the Tail System's ever managed to pull, uh, pull out. But at the same time, it, it's not completely terrible. Um, the AI is pretty bad, but uh, the, uh, the, the combat system itself is it's, it's simple but enjoyable. Mm-hmm. What about uh, what about uh, you, 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 Mike or John? I, I know you guys haven't really played it hands-on, but any any comments from you, you know your friends or from what you've read or anything? Yes, I have um, a long list, list of notes on this. But go ahead, John. I was actually just going to say I think Legendia was the one um, Tales game that managed to completely ruin the spell indignation. Other than that. I don't really know that much about it. <laughs> I mean, Adrian might know what I'm talking about on that one. I, I have a feeling I know what you're talking about on that one. The indignation spell has traditionally been one of the most powerful, actually the most powerful, pretty much the most powerful spell in the game, aside from things like Meteor Storm and some of the uh, uh, mystic big, arts big in the late game. Whatnot. Yeah, it, but yeah, um, it, it, it's, no, less, it's a lot less powerful in this game. It's basically, in, in all of the other Tales of games, it's usually some kind of, like, devastating lightning storm-type ability that's usually incredibly flashy and whatnot. Um, but in Legendia, it's like this piddly little lightning bolt. <laughs> well, in, in a lot of ways, it's not that surprising. Legendia has a... Uh, a the story of Legendia has a lot of aquatic themes in it. There's a... There's a, 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 a it, it all takes place on a giant ship, as I mentioned, and so there's a lot of... Uh, uh, nautical sort of uh, the- uh, themes in it. Water is a, a major element in the game, which is not true in most Tales games. So uh, most of the mo- most powerful spells in the game are water spells, like uh, things like tidal waves, and those ones sort of replace indignation and become particularly flashy. Oh well, well, it's not really a complaint. It's just a kind of eh sort of thing. Mike, does your does your notes there from your friends say anything else uh, regarding uh, you know how this battle system maybe compares and contrasts to some of the um, other games of the series? It does. My friend seems to think that it's really boring. The controls are really floaty. There's nothing. It has no definitive characteristics, and he seems to be annoyed by the fact that half of Senel's moves are throws. And those are terrible <laughs> until you get later ones. Did, okay, he, um, he really doesn't like this game. The half half or throws part is kind of insane because he has, I think, <laughs> seven throws and each one basically replaces the last one. So there's not really a lot there. Um, Sentinel actually has a ton of moves, a lot of really interesting moves. But uh, uh, I, I understand the floating controls. It... it the controls are not great, and like I said, it has—it's got that move memory that actually ends up being quite irritating, all things considered. Uh, it saying it doesn't have any defining features, though, is quite wrong. Uh, perhaps for the battle system, but for the game itself, there's two things about the game that really define it. One, uh, the world is extremely unique and extremely interesting. Uh, the entire gameplay takes place on a giant ship, as I mentioned. And uh, the characters and the events of that uh, the game are, and the way the, even the, ga- the way the game is told, uh, the story is told is very different from uh, most Tales games. But most uniquely, uh, the the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. It's the only Tales game, to my knowledge, 
that ha- wasn't scored by Mutoi Sok- uh, Sakuraba. Instead, it was uh, scored by Go Shina, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Now I'll have to find some of those uh, tracks to put on the show. If you can pick out some of your favorite ones, by the way, you can always oh, send I, me I the can, names. I can, uh, I can think of quite a few that are uh, stand out, but honestly, the entire album stands out as amazing. Um, j- j- it's just... The, there's a lot of uh, strings and a lot of uh, low brass involved in it, a lot of interesting percussion work. Uh, it, it's all very epic and very different from what you normally hear in, a t- uh, in not just in a Tales game, but in any game, really. Uh, so it, it really stands was? out. Pardon? Do you know who the composer was? It, yes, uh, it was composed by Goshina, who has done a, a handful of other games, no other RPGs to speak of, but uh, hmm. I, I think, if I remember correctly, his other best-known work was, uh, if I remember right, it was Jet Set Radio. Interesting. Uh, wait. Wasn't Jet Set Radio somebody else? Um, I could be wrong. It's it's was it Jet? It was um. Okay, I could be wrong. Yeah, you're right. Jet Set Radio was someone else. Um. Yeah, honestly, he doesn't really have very many other soundtracks of note. He did the Radiant Mythology games, apparently. Oh, he did the later one. Uh, he did part of it, but he worked with Motoya Sakuraba in that one, apparently. Right, right. Hmm. So you enjoyed the sound. The battle system, you would say, is kind of hit or miss, right? It's hit or miss. It's it, it's not that... It, it's not, it doesn't compare to any of the other Tales games, uh, at least not in the modern ones, uh, in terms of quality, but it's it, it, it gets the job done, I can say that much, at least. How are, how are the graphics? Uh, that's another thing that a lot of people are divided on. It's got a, it's got a sort of a pastel visual style. It, it, it looks, it, it, did you, did you, any of you ever play Clay Fighter? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the visuals kind of look like Clay Fighter. That, that's not a good thing. <laughs> that draws up some pretty scary images from my youthful years on my Super Nintendo. Uh... Well, uh, they're a little bit more uh, refined than the original Clay Fighter games, but uh, like, sort of like a little bit maybe like Clay Fighter Two. Uh, sorry, Clay Fighter Sixty Four. In terms of like, the, the the characters look like they're made of clay, and they're also kind of a little bit more deformed. They almost look like three D versions of the sprites you'd see in a two D SNES RPG. Mm. And. Um... And what did you think? What did you personally think about the overall design and feel of the of the world? I mean, did it did so did that draw? Did that overall look draw you in the artistic style and whatnot? How did you personally feel about it? Um, it wasn't uh, amazing, but it wasn't bad either. The uh, environments in per- uh, in particular were quite attractive, uh, especially since it, like I said, it all takes place on a ship, and the ship has some very unique fauna, flora involved in it so it's it, it, it's visually attractive in terms of when you're exploring but it's also the the level design was not particularly imaginative so uh it gets a little bit repetitive and the levels aren't that interesting to explore other than to look at them so it's kind of hit or miss on that in that regard um I, I i didn't really i wouldn't really fault it anything but uh, uh i can understand why people might not like that style and you talked to you started off talking about the story. Let's let's kind of finish with the story. I mean, what did you feel about the overall story, the characters, the plot? 
did that draw you? It sounds like so far that everything is kind of either mediocre or hit or miss. It's not super great. It's not super bad. So overall, I mean, did the story, though, make you want to keep playing through? Well, aside from the soundtrack, which, as I mentioned, is amazing, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. the story is the main reason to play Legendia. Uh, and it's one of the only Tales games where I would say that the story is the main reason to play the game. Mm. Uh, it's, it's one of the better stories in the Tales series. Uh, it's got terrific characters, um, an incredibly interesting world, mm. and uh, a, lot, a lot of really well-written moments. Um, there's, there's an interesting story about the localization. Um, there was a, a snafu during the localization process where uh, this is back in 2005 when Namco was actually trying to budget their games properly, so they were looking at what they could cut from the Japanese version in order to make it uh, affordable for them to localize it. And obviously the first thing on the shopping block is voice acting. So they were trying to figure out what kind of what, what areas of the voice acting they could cut out. And one of the things that was on their list was uh, uh, what were called... Uh, what was it? Charac- uh, charac- uh, character stories or character quests. Yeah, character quests. And uh, so they decided, oh, this sounds like a simple side quest, we'll just cut this out. But what it turned out to be is the character quests are actually half of the game. And so the second half of the game doesn't have any voice acting, which is kind of noticeable. Oh, oh damn. <laughs> oh, whoops. Um, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, kind of bad. But that's one of the things that's interesting about Tales of Legendia is that the way the story is told is very different. There's actually two stories in the game, two main plot lines. The first plot line takes place of, through the main part of the game, involves obviously Senol chasing after Shirley, like I mentioned before. Um, in this part of the game, uh, this is the main part of the game, you're going to be exploring the world for the first time, you're going to be seeing everything that's there, uh, and then <clears throat> once that's beaten, you see the credits, and then you can load it up again and do the character quests. And the character quests have a completely different story. Th- these character quests um, complete each character's individual plot thread, uh, they all had sub-stories during the main game, and these stories finally wrap up in the character quests. And on top of that, there's another main story, which ends up focusing on another character, Groon. And this takes uh, takes in, in almost the exact same length of time it takes to play the first half of the game. So it's it's, it's basically two games in one. Both take place in the same uh, same world map, so you end up visiting the same places twice, unfortunately, which is a questionable design decision, and probably not a very good one. But the uh, dungeons at the same time reset with new uh, new treasure to find, new enemies to fight, things like that. So it, it ends up working out overall. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. So, so it sounds like overall then you have a generally positive uh, overview of this game. Honestly, Legendia is actually, despite its problems, it's one of my favorite Tales games. I think it's second just behind uh, Symphonia for me. And the, the main reasons for that are, I, I mean, I, I recognize the game's flaws, but the main reasons for that is just because it's so different and so unique uh, compared to the other Tales games. It, 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 it catches you off guard. Uh, it, doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't stick with its gu- uh, stick to its guns, as it were, which is what the Tales uh, series is really known for. And that is something I honestly have to respect. And it sounds like that, in contrast to a lot of, not just a, a number of the Tales games, but as well as just RPGs overall, that it, it has a, a, a pretty decent storyline. And that's kind of hard to find, because a lot of the games that come out, 
Uh, I mean, there are obviously some very good RPGs that have been out over the last five or ten years, but a lot of them have had pretty mediocre storylines at the end of the day. And it sounds like this one has some good meaty characterization and a, and a decent plot to boot. Well, the whole game will take you roughly 60 to 80 hours to get through if you play through the character quests as well. So it's, wow. it's got lots of story to play through. And the story takes up the bulk of your time, too. Mm. Though, uh, though, Mike, your, your friend, on the other hand, didn't sound super keen on it, huh? Not in the slightest. <laughs> I, I can give you some of the finer points if you'd like. Give us a quick rundown of the bullet points. All right, here's some of the bullet points. We've got inane and oft-times nonsensical story, annoying mascot otter word I'm not going to say on the podcast, <laughs> characters won't stop butting into the story, um, beats the theme of racism more and more annoyingly than any other Tales game, um, Senel is really annoying, um, all the fairing characters are racist jerks. Wow. Wow. <laughs> he, really doesn't, he just really doesn't like this game. Well, uh, it almost oh, sounds like he doesn't oh. like JRPGs in general, because almost all his complaints are basically can be, <laughs> equally be levied at every Tales game. I can and every JRPG you. in existence. Well, I was going to say, does, um, does Tales of Agendia beat the racism issue over the head more or less than Tales of Symphonia does? Because Symphonia lays it on pretty thick. Yeah. No, Symphonia is definitely infamous for the the racism themes. Um, Legendia is much milder about it. I found Uh, they're they're certainly there, uh, and they're I will I will honestly say that they're more devastating in 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 terms of how you see it. It's more uh, it's it's not it's not they don't beat it into your head, but when it's there, it's more it's more brutal, more. Hardline than uh, the stuff in Symphonia. I don't know. Well, really, I think um, my my personal take on it is um, kind of like uh, character annoyance is something I see often cited when people say, you know, oh, that character sucked. But, um, you know, I think how annoying people find certain characters is one of those really subjective things that varies a lot from people to people. You know, what some people find endearing, other people will find monumentally annoying, and vice versa. Oh, that's true. That's true. And I think, or sometimes, in sometimes, and not all cases, I think voice actoring does feature into it. Yeah, and, I mean, JRPGs, I mean, you're absolutely right, John, and, I mean, JRPGs do, uh, are going to bring certain stereotypical characters to the to the table. You're going to have probably some irritating young, you know, voice type of character, or three you know, on the team, uh, you're gonna have a spiky. That would be hair. Norma, and that would be Norma and Legendia, I think. See there, I just you're gonna. Yeah, I was think I was thinking of uh, Annie and Abyss myself. But... Yeah. You're gonna have spiky hair protagonist. Um, speaking of, um, let's move on to our next game, Tales of the Abyss. Become spiky hair protagonist. The one thing I remember about this game when I picked it up was the fact that not only did it have the the obligatory spiky hair protagonist right down the front cover, but dang, he had some good-looking abs. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, is the thing is about Luke, uh, the main character of Abyss, being a spiky haired protagonist, is he doesn't remain spiky haired Exactly. There you go. Actually, he starts. I, I always thought that he didn't start off spiky haired and become spiky haired later on in the game. <laughs> He's got the long hair to begin with, and then he cuts true, it off. True. 
Well, yeah, he, he he basically Luke suffers from this this infamous thing called character development about a third of the way through. <laughs> I'm sure we can get onto that. Oh snap! Yeah, before we before we get on to before we get off the uh, onto that topic, let me give this the proper introduction it deserves. Tales of the Abyss is developed by Namco Tales Studios, published by Namco Bandai. It is a PlayStation 2 single-player RPG experience released in North America on October the 10th, 2006, and of course it is rated T for teens. So, Mr. Den Alden, please do us the honors of setting the stage and telling us about the story of Tales of the Abyss. Well, Tales of the Abyss has a rather complicated story, and it's it, if you've never played the game before, you'll probably find this extremely difficult to follow. Uh, the game all starts when uh, rich, pretty boy Luke von Fabra is training with his sword instructor at his ma- uh, ra- rather uh, luxurious manor, and uh, a mysterious assassin comes and tries to kill the, his sword instructor. So uh, he ends up uh, touching her, and somehow they're mysteriously transported several thousand miles away. Uh, at that point, they have to work together to try to find their way home, at which point they discover that their uh, swordmaster is actually her brother. Um, he's a douchebag who's trying to take over the world and destroy it. And they, there's also a lot of religion. There's a religion there with a, a phone master who's not actually a phone master, but a clone of a phone master. Uh, it, it's just really convoluted and complicated, but at the same time... Can I, can I, can I, attempt, to, can I attempt to complicate it even further? Yes, please do. do please. <laughs> the, the general plan of, the general plan of uh, Master Van, Luke's Swordmaster, isn't necessarily to take over the world, but to uh, replace everyone in it with emotionless clones of themselves, which kind of ranks up there in the Sephiroth, of, Sephiroth school of conquering the world. Um, it, I, they, I mean, okay, it, it, it's, it, they do a moderate job of explaining it. Um, something to do about a, um, like a planetary, uh, um, like this planetary, uh, prophecy that was recorded on stone tablets. And he really doesn't particularly want this. Uh, and it, the, it, it, it has proven true for like 2,000 years. But he doesn't like it because this prophecy caused his town to explode or something. Let's, hey. let's just say that it, the whole thing takes place over a 60-hour game, and it really requires you to actually play through the game and un- to possibly understand it. There is no real way to sum it up in a two-minute speech. No. True. I think we, we'd be having difficulty with that. Mm-hmm. So and, than- I mean, is that... And the fact that it is such a... I don't want to make this sound overly negative or positive, but the fact that it is such a complicated storyline plot, is that good or bad? Good. Uh, pers- uh, yeah, 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 I'd say it's a good personally thing. Good. Yeah. And so you mentioned, you mentioned that this, this main character actually has some character development going on throughout this whole thing. Well, basically, Luke, the, Luke von Fabra, the main character, starts off as a kind of long-haired, jerky-ass version of Zelos from Tales of Symphonia, really. <laughs> Except more, except fact, even actually, more. You know what? There, there's actually an, there's an NPC in the game who, if you talk to him while using Luke, he'll say, "But Zelos died." Because <laughs> <laughs> he looks just like him. Yeah, basically, the the the, the main character Luke starts off as like this kind of cl- slightly more clueless, uh, almost helpless version of Zelos. He's a jerk. He doesn't know how the world works. 
uh, you know, he's generally an ass to people because he thinks he's this kind of, you know, important noble guy and everyone else underneath him are undeserving plebs. Um, and then about a third of the way into the game when he realizes that his swordmaster is a, you know, douchebag of the highest caliber, um, the swordmaster reveals that um, he's actually just a clone of someone else, um, and that he is mostly, you know, expendable in that regard. And um, so, yeah, and after sort of being held responsible for the, for the destruction of a major town, um, he suddenly comes to realise what an ass he's been. He's been through your party members up until that point, and uh, symbolic has the obligatory symbolic haircut. And then actually starts being nice to people. Overly nice, I would actually say. He gets kind of obsessive about it and becomes kind of a kind of a tool. Yes, yeah, but <laughs> what I like about that fact is that you know he's basically only a few years old, so he's essentially acting like a kid. And I think they actually pull that off pretty well. No, you. Know what? I agree. Uh, I think Luke is probably one of the most, in- uh, the more interesting of the tales protagonists. In that yeah, regard. basically, Luke, Luke is Luke is still kind of falls into some of the traps of um, like tale, like um, the, the when they traditionally cast idiots as the hero in as you know the main character in tales games. But it's kind of done better than say Lloyd's abject stupidity in Symphonia at times. Well, honestly, that's kind of debatable too. I would say I can only think of really. Three characters, uh, three Tales characters, which I would really classify as idiots. Three main characters, anyways. And that would be uh, Reed from Eternia, uh, Ston from Destiny, and Lloyd from Symphonia. The others aren't really idiots. Some of them are more intelligent than others, but none of them are really stupid. Well, yeah, no, I was only really referring to the, to the idiot characters. Those three in particular, actually. Since we, since we did actually talk quite a bit about them last time, um, but yeah, it, it's like Luke. It's like also Luke. It does have his moments of sheer. Like he does the traditional. Uh, not you're completely unsure what money is at one point. You know, it's it's quite <laughs> traditional for sheltered characters to do that in fiction. But it's like you know, Luke is stupid. But it's it's like he has a reason to be stupid. And in fact, I think it's um, I think it's kind of. Before the, the the revelation that he is who he is, I think it's kind of supposed to be an indicator that you know, as well as being a, a sheltered noble, he's not. Well, he's quite not. He, he's there. not so much stupid as he is ignorant. Yes. Right. Yeah. No, I can agree with that. But what's so great about it in the early game is, you know, as people are explaining, you know, kind of the convoluted things that are going on, he basically like makes fun of things that are going on. You know, when it kind of makes light of how ridiculous some of it pretty much is. It, it actually, interesting. it actually serves as a nice, uh, as an interesting uh, plot device as well, in that uh, the game's world is so complicated and so uh, filled with, like, backstory that Luke's ignorance of everything around him really helps to uh, allow for extensive, and I mean extensive, sections of, uh, of uh, exposition uh, when they're explaining how the world works to him. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah. Uh, and you found, and so overall, you think? I mean, it sounds like it's overall been a positive. I think the fact that there is so much story and exposition and some character development, even though it's a little overdone in parts, you would say it sounds like the characterization and story are pretty well done overall and worth the trip. Yeah. Yes. Oh, definitely. So let's speaking of the trip, let's talk about the battle system, as that tends to be the meat and potatoes of a lot of the Tales games. How is it done in this uh, this iteration? Basically, the battle system in Abyss takes um, the three D battle system of Symphonia and sort of upgrades it to be better. I feel. I think well, Abyss it, was better executed. Well, you know it. I'd say it's sort of a. It, it's tough to say. I found Symphonia's combat to uh, be a little bit smoother than Abyss's. Like a, Abyss, the new stuff they added in Abyss was definitely uh, an improvement. Like being able to uh, run around in uh, in 3D, uh, the free run system as they call it, uh, yep. was a huge addition, and it added a lot of strategy to the uh, to the combat. But at the same time, I found the uh, actual the actual motions of the combat, the actual way the, uh, the skills link together and the attacks link together to be a lot stiffer and less uh, less enjoyable than Symphonia. Symphonia's was extremely streamlined and uh, really fast-paced, and everything flowed really, really well, while Abyss was still a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, personally, I, I, I kind of felt... I, I, personally, I, didn't, I, I personally found Abyss wasn't necessarily smoother... But I, I just found Abyss's combat more enjoyable, uh, just mostly via the things that they added to it. Um, things like the um, the addition of free one, rip, run was one thing, but there was also things like um, the FOF system for altering your abilities, which I thought yes. was quite well done. I thought, uh, I, honestly, I found the FOF system to be largely unimportant like uh, i used it every now and then like whenever it happened but whenever it did happen it was almost always random the the fof abilities they were so hard to actually make proper use of because they required so much setup i didn't think they were that hard to set up it's been a while but i thought that there were certain ways to pretty much set them up pretty easily well there, there were certain seal combinations you could use but most of them just weren't really worth it like uh, uh it was this is particularly true for uh like if you're controlling a spellcaster i could see how some of them would, would be more effective but for the uh the melee characters um even if the enemy even moved a little bit you'd probably end up moving off of the uh, fof field when you're about to launch your attack and you wouldn't get the effects anyways well, it, as, as a means of explanation, effectively, FOF stands for Field of Phonemes. It effectively meant that um, attacks and abilities, particularly oh, anyone involving any kind of element, would leave um, a circle of that element on the battlefield where they landed. Um, now, for, for weaker attacks, these, these circles would be um, unfilled. They would be incomplete. However, after a certain number of melee attacks, it's usually four melee attacks, uh, two light spells, or one heavy spell. They would light up with their respective element. And if you if you pulled off a certain move inside that circle while it was active, it changed the element of the attack you were using into a different one and created a different attack entirely. Um, well, quite a lot of them were references to older to attacks used by other Tales of protagonists, admittedly. Um, and personally, I found that the um, 
The system became a lot easier to use once the characters in your party learned the higher tier magic spells, which caused the circles to appear a lot more often, particularly right on top of the enemy, which was where you really needed them to be. Uh, and once that happened, I was using them almost constantly. Um, and there are also ways of upgrading your characters so they could make use of um, incomplete circles to, to do the altered attacks anyway, which made you know the, the, the harder fights in the game easier, I would say, as the FOF attacks typically did a little bit more damage. So that's, that, that's my experience with it anyway. I sort of my your experience mileage, too. Your mileage may, may vary on that one. But that's Great. probably because I made such extensive use of, of Jade as a character, because Jade is awesome. Um, Does, wait, doesn't everybody extensively use Jade? <laughs> if anybody doesn't use, extensively use Jade in Abyss, then, well, you're, you're a poopy head. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it here on RPG Backtrack first. If you don't use Jade, you are, in all factuality, a poopy head. Well, if just going into the character then, because it segues reasonably well. Uh, Jade is the um, your traditional spellcast, you know, heavy spellcaster, your mage, effectively. And he, I think he's one of the older Tales of characters at thirty-five, and he is effectively a snarky bastard. <laughs> and he, and he a good description of him. He <laughs> will all, and he will remind you of that fact continually throughout the game. <laughs> Um, I mean, what I love okay, about him is you're never entirely sure if he's being sarcastic or not. That's one of the greatest <laughs> things with that character. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he has he has a look in his eyes which basically says, I know just about everything to do with this plot, except I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you figure it out for yourself because I'm kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I believe he does actually withhold certain plot elements from the party precisely oh, because, because, well, he's a douche <laughs> at times. But it, 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 his method of introduction is quite interesting because he shows up. Um, he shows up quite early in the game uh, when you're having trouble with a certain boss at level like forty-five or something. Yes, he starts so, off like forty-five or fifty. Yeah, so he, he has access to most of his um, most of his magic, uh, most of his abilities, and he'll show up against an early boss, the Liger Queen, and effectively walk all over it for you after you've been having trouble with it. Um, and then in within the next segment, um, the bad guys realize that having a level 45 mage at that point in the game might actually be a problem. Um, they effectively curse him, which de-levels him down to your level and makes him um, renders him unable for, to use most of his magic, which is a shame, because having a level 45 character at that stage of the game would make it quite easy, let's be honest. <laughs> So, yeah. So, overall, sounds like a solid battle bit. Yeah, a solid battle system, you would say. Yeah. I mean, it's I would say. wrapping well, it up. I'll, I'll, one, thing I, one, one thing I would add to the battle system is that Tales of the Abyss is the last, is the last Tales game to have any sort of originality in it. And that the Tales of the Abyss battle system is reused for every Tales game since. That's mm. what you think. Uh, well, except uh, yeah, for until, ones that haven't been released. In, oh uh, yeah, exactly. Until 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 Graces comes along and proves that wrong. <laughs> never say we'll never. That. Yeah. Um. So overall, guys, which which all sounds like sounds like it's a good game. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It drags a bit at the end, but other than that, my favorite game in, in the series, though I don't, I wouldn't say it's the best in the series. Uh, to me, it's to me, it's my second favorite in the series. It's the second one I played next to Symphonia. Um, I played it myself in 2005. I picked it up uh, just before Christmas when it came out in Japan. Um, I just, I, I was uh, Abyss was the, the Tales of game that came out while I just happened to be living out there. Um, so I bought it for myself as a Christmas present, and um, yeah, I, I, I quick, quick, because at the time I'd only played, I think I'd only played Symphonia, so it kind of quickly became my my second favorite. It was my favorite at the time, but then another game came along and, and stole that place. So this is sort of in a, it's in a number three slot for me, uh, alongside uh, Vesperia and Eternia. It's it's a great game, definitely, but uh, it's not it's not a, it's not my favorite. It, wait, you just mentioned your top three games. I, I didn't hear Radiant Mythology in there. I mean... <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no. Are we at that point now? Oh, was that a segue? I guess it was. So our next oh, no. game... Wait, before you segue, I had one more point about Abyss. All right. Fantastic localization, which apparently John missed out on. Yeah, that's actually that's actually one of the rare things you will probably won't find in the Tales of series is the American version actually has things added to it from the Japanese version. Yes. Um, what basically what happened was was the Japanese version was actually rushed out to meet the I think it was the Tales of fifteenth anniversary, which meant that several things that they wanted to implement um, actually got cut out. Um, for time reasons, and they weren't ever added back in because this is a PS2 game, and they couldn't do it, and they couldn't do that. Um, I don't know if they re-released a bit in Japan again to to take advantage of that fact, but yeah, um, the American localization. It's actually only one thing I wasn't wasn't sure about was does the American localization of Abyss have voiced skits? Yes, it does. Yes. Yes, because that's something that I don't think hadn't been done before Abyss, because Symphonia didn't have voice skits in the localization. So, yeah. I don't, I, I don't I, think I, it has it in all of them, though. Actually, uh, wait, no. You know, no, you know what? Abyss didn't have lo- uh, voice skits. We had to wait until... We had to wait until... Legendia had them, Abyss didn't, and then they added the voice skits back in for Vesperia. Okay. I thought Abyss I was headed for some of them. It's been a while, though. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Which is a shame so, because the the voice cast is really really good. No, the voice cast is very good for both versions of this. I feel. Well, I, I think the main reason why there's no there's no uh, voice acting in the tales skits is uh, tells you the best skits is because there's over five hundred of them. Yeah, there's a lot of that them. That would be a good reason. <laughs> Ooh, doggy. And uh, 500 is about the number of people who like Radiant Mythology in the United States. Ra- Tales of the World Radiant Mythology, developed by... Do you have that's to? An in- that's an inflated <laughs> estimate, Bill. It's inflated. Absolutely. But, but it's in Adrian's top three list. He just forgot to put it in there. I'm sure it is. Developed by... Al- my top worst games list. <laughs> Developed by Alpha Systems, published by Namco Bandai, and it is this is a PlayStation Portable single-player RPG experience released in North America on July 17, 2007, and this is rated teen for teen. So, Adrian, tell sorry, me. I think I thought I thought it was rated C for crap. <laughs> <laughs> now, now. 
Now, John, that's hardly called for. I mean, I'm looking at the screenshots. This cute girl, she's got a dress. She's holding a sword. She's got a cute little Pokemon or something on her hand. Or, you know, I mean, this is really cute. What, what, what could possibly be bad about this game? Everything. You know what's really bad is I actually own a copy of it. and So do I. So do I. I really, so do I really I. wish I didn't. Now, I'm actually interested to hear what you guys have to say about this, because in, in, doing, uh, in doing some preliminary investigation to this Hale series, and I've got quite a number of these games, I pick them up even though I don't quite have the time to play to them, because I delude myself into assuming that one day I will actually have free time on my hands. Um, but in looking at tales, uh, you know, of the radiant mythology world or whatever the heck it's called, I noticed that the critics were pretty hard on it, but the reader reviews were pretty good on it. So I'm hoping that you guys can help shed some light on the subject as to why this is and tell uh, and give us an overall, uh, you know, indication of whether or not this is a good game or something to be left behind. So Adrian, well, start us off reader, by setting The this. reader reviews are easily explained. Um, there is a segment of the population uh, who think crappy games are good. Um, th- this is just a known fact. Uh, I I don't want to be mean about it or anything like that. Well, actually, I kind of do in this case. But but um, there are certain really awful games, like absolutely awful games, that people, for some unexplicable reason, fall in love. Yeah, with. Yeah, I know. And I mean, some people. I mean, it's not, I know some people like Final Fantasy Thirteen. I mean. Uh, well, John, John, don't go there. <laughs> hey, go I like there. Final Fantasy Thirteen. It's called mocking the argument. I'm, I'm more uh, referring to games that are like I'm, I'm referring to games that are universally panned by like reviewers and things like that, uh, like critically panned. Like there are people out there who like, for example, Operation Darkness, and that I don't know if you've played that, but that's an absolutely atrocious game. That's yeah, uh, but there, there it, are there are people. It's got thirty. That liked big rigs over the world racing, for God's sake! But that's probably because <laughs> only of how ungodly terrible it is. And exactly, that's my that's my point. Uh, there is a segment of the population who like bad games, and that's where those reader reviews come from. No oh, boy. Well, and, and you know, and, and the funny thing is, is is usually whenever Adrian's not around, the rest of the RPG cast uh, always get their digs in on how. Adrian just absolutely loves all Tales games with abandon, and yet it doesn't sound like you love this one too much. But before we get into your personal review on it, Adrian, why don't you set us the stage and tell us what is the story of Tales of the World Radiant Mythology? Uh, for what story there is for Tales of the World Radiant Mythology, uh, you're, you get to create your own Tales character for this game, which is uh, something fairly different for the series. Yeah. But in, in this case, once you've created a little character, you wake up in the middle of a giant tree, and, and this creepy white creature called Mormo comes at you and tells you that you're a... What, what was it? Behold, was it Beholder? I can't, I, I can't remember exactly what the word they used for it. Isn't, isn't Beholder a, a, a squishy thing from D&D? A floating eye. It's, well, it's, it's actually a very, very big floating eye that has lots of little eye stalks that can, a lot of them can just instantly kill characters. And one of the big bad bosses is almost as strong as a red dragon. You just don't want, oh, wait, I'm getting off on a side topic. Go ahead. Yeah, it would be really good if you were one of those. <laughs> regardless, <laughs> regardless, whatever it is they call him, it makes no sense. And uh, the, you, you're a spawn of this planet's world tree, and uh, apparently there's this monster that's been going around devouring planets, and your planet is next on the chopping block, and you have to save it. 
Mm. Sounds like sounds like fun. Wow, that's original. I think. <laughs> I, I, let's go back to the Beholder because that was cooler. So one of the <laughs> okay, maybe we shouldn't. Okay, so okay, so obviously, clearly, you weren't excited about the storyline. Did any of you guys uh, also play through the storyline? I, I I must admit I started playing it uh-huh. and the idea of being able to create your own character I thought was actually a nice idea for the series. Right. It's just badly executed. I mean, yeah, you don't really get a whole lot of opportunities in JRPGs to create your own characters. That actually sounds like something fun and cool. And it sounds like it. I mean, from what I've heard, is the other two Tales of the World games, the, the Radiant Mythology two and three, which of course haven't been released outside Japan. Uh, can sort of continue this trend of um, being able to create your own characters and are, for the most part, better executed games. Yes, which although kind of death, three, death. 3 hasn't come out in Japan yet either. Yes, 3 is still sort of cooking. Mm. Yes. So, let's go into the characterizations. The, st- the story plot sounds pretty way on left field and probably isn't going to connect with people. What about the characters? Well, the main point of this game is that the characters are all from other Tales games. Uh, you get you meet up with other Tales characters, and you can have them in your party and fight with them alongside them in order to uh, save the world. So pretty much characters from every game in the series pretty much are in there, uh, all the way up to, uh, from starting with Fantasia and all the way up to Abyss. The unfortunate problem with how this game was designed is that, in general, you can't use these characters because they refuse to join your party. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a you know. A, so I was getting twenty two. I was getting very excited <laughs> till you mentioned that last little asterisk. <laughs> it's like it's like Super Robot Wars, except ampersand. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it's just, Oh boy, going to be doing a lot of editing on the podcast tonight. Um, so, <laughs> so who ends up in your party if you can't get the old char- or characters from other Tales games to join in? Well, luckily the game offers you random characters that are basically es- uh, essentially created characters just like your own character that always join your party. And they're also yeah. the only ones that level up automatically. All the Tales characters don't level up automatically and you have to level up manually, which means that... As the game progresses, um, most of these characters wind up vastly underleveled, and you can't really use them to beat the game anyways, even if you do get them to join your party. Hmm. Well, that's... Uh... So, yeah, so basically, when you do get access to the other Tales characters, you know, they're, they're kind of like half the point of the game, they suck. Well, this sounds about as exciting as eating roaches so far. So... Oh, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> please, please. By which I mean... By so, which I mean it gets worse. Okay, well, uh, clearly there's the, the story's way on left field. There's a huge disconnect with the characters because of the way that's set up to where you really don't get the good characters until you're later on. But tell, but you know, the meat and potatoes of the tales. You don't get those characters. The meat and potatoes of the tales games are usually the battle system. Certainly, the battle system must save this experience. It's a ripoff of Tales of the Best. It's the exact same battle system, no changes whatsoever. Yep. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, and that was the one where the battle system was was okay, but it, it really wasn't the main draw of Abyss. Well, remember how hey, I said hey, that hey. I found that Abyss's battle system was to be was kind of stiff and uh-huh. a little rough around the edges. Uh-huh. It's worst. Yeah, Radiant Mythologies is worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think it was possible, but there you go. <laughs> 
Now, I don't know, guys. How can how can 934 voters on GameSpot give this game an 8.3? And you guys are, are just, I, I don't know. I, you're, you're making... They were bribed. <laughs> I think I think no. In this particular instance, I think we're just too busy giving praise to the better games in the series. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. No, no. There's every element of uh, Radiant Mythology's game design is flawed. It's not even a good game compared to other games that are similar to it. Like there's other games that are similar to it that I like. Other games that are similar to it that I don't like. But this is among the worst. I mean, there's there's more problems with the game design. For example, we can talk about uh, the, the quest design. Uh, the game is very much quest and mission driven. Uh, you accept quests, complete them, and those quests uh, give you fame points, which, once you accumulate enough, let you continue with the storyline, with the main quests. Unfortunately, these quests, you can only accept one at a time. They all send you back to the same dungeons over and over and over again. The dungeons are bland. They're not randomly generated, despite what some people believe. They're actually preset, but they're oh, just whoops. a series. Uh, I, think we did, I, think series. We actually, I think we actually did that skit with the assumption that they were randomly yeah. generated. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not. This, this is something I discovered just because I... I, I would have assumed they're randomly generated as well, just because they're so I, exactly the same. Like there are a series of corridors that all look exactly the same, but they're not randomly generated. And I discovered this because I entered these stupid dungeons over and over and over again, <laughs> completed these crappy quests just to get through this bloody storyline, which I didn't give a crap about. All in an effort to beat this absolutely terrible game, and it, it just makes me sad thinking about well, it. Well, you right actually now. beat it. Yes, I actually beat oh this game. Oh my god. <laughs> wow! I actually uh, well, we had I, I, uh, shameless plug. Although it's kind of over now, uh, we did the Tales of 2010 marathon this year, and as p- part of this marathon, uh, this was one of the games we did in this marathon. And oh, as part great. of this marathon, my goal was to f- have beaten by the end of it every Tales game released in North America. And I can now, I can now say that that has happened. Unfortunately, it meant I had to beat this particular game and. Well, uh, my review for the game, which I posted a little while, shortly afterwards, kind of speaks for itself. Mm. What did it get again? 0.5? A 1. It got a 1. Oh, it was a 1. <laughs> it got a 1. Wow. The lowest score we can give it. Ooh, that's what drug down the critics' score on meta. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. So, do we even... At, wait, wow. You know, I'm almost sensing a little... I don't know, what's the word? Anger? Hostility? Tension towards this game, Adrian? Just, just a tad bit? Oh, there is very much hostility towards this game. This, it, it's honestly... I, I know there are some people who... I don't understand. I can't honestly understand why, but personally, I consider this game, the fact that this game was released in North America, to be a giant slap in the face to Tales fans everywhere. I mean, of all the games they could have released, they chose this one. They, they well, could have you... given us Rebirth. They could have given us Destiny 2. They they could have uh... they could have given us uh, what uh, innocence hearts uh, tempest even but they chose I, radiant mythology. I think the problem with Destiny Two and Rebirth is the fact that they're in two D. Does anybody remember like Sony of America's whole no two D nonsense? Mm. Yeah, see, I don't I don't buy that. There's a lot of people who think that's the case, but honestly, I don't buy that because there are enough 2D games on the PSP that there are now. I'm talking about when it was when it was originally released. Mhm. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah. Because it seems it seems odd that they would you know fully localize Eternia on PSP for Europe and not bring that over here instead of doing this horrible game. Hmm. Hmm. So do we even need to talk about the graphics and the sound, or did they manage to really royally f that one up too? Actually, aside from the repetitive dungeons, the visuals are surprisingly nice. Mm-hmm. They are, yes. But the they're, dungeons they're not, are horribly yeah. bland. Horribly bland. The, the one thing about the visuals that really stood out to me was the world map. I don't know if any of it... The world map is uh, it, it's hand-painted and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. the one thing that really stood out to me. Hmm. Okay. Well, I don't think we need to ask y'all's concluding thoughts on this particular title. Sounds like it's a steaming pile of fly dung. And <laughs> but go and just go and play another Tales game. Go and play then. another Tales game, like yes. maybe maybe Tales of Vesperia for the go Xbox. Play, yeah, go. Xbox. Go play Vesperia. <laughs> so if, yes, Tales, anything else? Tales of Vesperia, developed by Namco Tales Studio, published by Namco Bandai. And uh, this is released on the Xbox 360 in North America on August 26, 2008. A console RPG single multiplayer co-op experience for your Xbox 360. Coming soon, one day, to a PlayStation 3 near you. And uh, yeah, it like is, that'll never happen. And it yeah, is rated, rated T for Teen. Now, I, I, I did see an announcement somewhere that this could quite possibly be coming to my precious PlayStation. I do not have an Xbox. So I'm I'm curious to see what uh, you guys have I to say about this point, one. I think at this point, any chance of a PS3 localization for Vesperia is out of the question. You know, it's not going to happen now. Yeah. Which is why I just kind of went straight ahead and bought the PS3 version anyway. Well, because... aren't you special? <laughs> yes, I am. Doggity. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those people who have a, an Xbox 360 or speak fluent Japanese... Uh, why don't you set the table for us, Mr. Adrian? Why am I doing it again? Let Mike do this. Okay, Mike, set the table for us. You've been voted on the island. Tell us about the story of Tales of Asperia. And include lots of spoilers. I actually haven't gotten all that far into this game. Adrian! Let's... Let John do it. Let John do it. Mr. Calendar, our female audience awaits your rendition of the story of Tales of Vesperia. Go for it. Okay, so Tales of Vesperia um, takes place on a world where um, kind of all of the people living in it are living in cities protected by these certain pieces of magical technology called Blastia. Uh, uh, outside, if you, ven- if you kind of um, uh, venture outside of the shield, you're quite likely to get eaten by the local wildlife. Um, that's just the reality, and the game kicks off with um, uh, the your long-haired but non-spiky-haired protagonist Yuri finding that the blastier powering his local water pump has been stolen, and you kind of embark on a, a moderately epic quest to retrieve it. I say moderately epic because by um, sort of starting this this simplest of quests, you bump into a rebellious princess, you meet an explosive mage, um, and the story kind of spirals outwards to there, to, you know, inter guild wars and plans for world domination, and then finally the threat of the planet being eaten by a large 
tentacly thing. Whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up. So this is, this is essentially Tales of Fallout 1. Water pump leads to running in the gills and then bigger things. And party members. Well, yeah, without, and... without, the, without the nuclear weapons or the apocalypse. Okay, cool. Already having happened. Oh, I don't know. The apocalypse is sort of about to happen, so. Yeah, that is true. The, apo- the apocalypse is instead looming, but otherwise... I mean, yeah, actually, it's... when you think about it, this ancient civilization has reached its apocalypse. So, yeah, it is yes. like the one. The, the, wow. civili- the civilization... <laughs> the, the, uh, Disperia does take place after a uh, war which wiped out uh, these creatures called the Entlakea, is it? Yes. Um, so. Yeah. Um, which was a particularly bloody war that um, nobody really got much out of. But uh, it's as usual, the, the, the technology that um, you know, you're reliant on this blastier stuff does turn out to be, like, evil or something. Mm. And you're going to have to do something about it. Um, and I think my only real complaint in that particular department is it's a bit deus ex machina-y. I'm... Oh, extremely. <laughs> extremely. Yeah. Well, my, my major complaint is the fact that it's not, like you said, it's a, you're going off on a grand quest to save the world. My problem was is you're not going off on a grand quest. You're going off on three grand quests. The game is sp- basically split into three separate storylines with extremely ridiculous links between them. Like <laughs> the 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 linking points between these storylines are so unbelievable. It, it, it's just hard to accept. So 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 saith Adrian. <laughs> hmm. So the game looks really nice, though. Yeah, it is very oh God, it, it, it's extremely <laughs> gorgeous. I, I, as I was saying, I was like, you guys were talking something, something storyline. I'm just saying, wow, pretty colors. <laughs> uh, this is pretty game. When do I get this on the PS3 again? It's pretty. It deserves to be yeah. on the PS3 in 1080 resolution. Uh, never, probably. No. Uh, it, I will say it does look exceedingly pretty on the PS3, though. Mm. Very pretty. Very pretty. So, 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 what about the characters? How how did you like the characters, Adrian? Um. Well, I think. Or John. Uh, sorry. Go, go on, ahead. Adrian. Or whatever. Uh, oh no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um. Well, Yuri is. I think one of the. I think he's still the eldest Tales of protagonist at twenty-one, which obviously is telling. Um, <laughs> but he's. He should, be, he should be retired. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yuri is like he's he while he is a protagonist he he displays less kind of chronic hero tendencies that's actually reserved for another character um instead of um Yuri is the kind of the character that the storyline follows whereas the chronic hero character is Yuri's best friend night uh night captain Flynn um and inst- so instead, um, while um, Flynn is very much the kind of guy you typically go out and expect to save the princess and save the world in his, in his goody-goody two-shoes ways, um, Yuri is m- it just doesn't have quite the same heroic tendencies. Um, I mean, he in a couple of occasions, he does actually outright kill a couple of games' major storyline villains. Oh, nice. Um, He's a, he's a yeah. darker hero. He's a yes. he's more of a he, his 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 moral compass is a little bit skewed. So he's the hero that they that they need, not necessarily the hero that they want, but the hero well, that they actually, deserve. That's a major part of the, that's a major part of the storyline actually is that uh Flynn and Yuri are both working together on opposite sides of the same path. So yes. it's tales 
Flynn, you, Flynn is trying to do everything within the law, you know, the, the, the law set down by the, the Empire's knights. Whereas um, Yuri, who himself is a former knight, he quit because um, he feels that... Um, he got tired of the shit. He got, ti- he got tired of the bureaucracy of law, effectively. <laughs> he, he went over to vigilanteism, base, effectively. And that's what he does. Um, and Flynn does call him on it a couple of times, um, leading to the inevitable uh, one-on-one fight. Uh, much later in the game between Yuri and Flynn, which is that sounds awesome. It it is quite awesome. Yes, it it is very awesome. <laughs> so, but yeah, so joining him on this uh, um, on this particular adventure, I mentioned the the rebellious princess um, Estelise. Well, has extremely to, pink hair. It's shortened to Estelle, who has pink hair and is your resident healer. Um, who else is there? Uh, Carol, your resident kid and coward, um, kept getting kicked, think... kicked out, kicked out of guilds because he's he's a yellow belly. Mm-hmm. I think you're Eventually... missing the most important character, Rita, the dog. <laughs> oh, repeat, Yuri's... yes, yeah, Yuri's yes. dog, Heed, who is a playable character, and uh, yeah, then there's Rita, um, the like the smartest kid in the world, and is your resident spellcaster. Um, is amazingly clever, blows everything up, um, and doesn't do a whole lot else, actually. She just mostly blows things up and throws fireballs <laughs> and cuts And in. has awesome dialogue. Yeah, her dialogue is pretty fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because uh, basically, Rita's solution to just about anything is throw fireballs at it, and if that doesn't work, try science. <laughs> Fire- fireballs, then science, in that order. And then there's Judith, whose claim to fame is the fact that she has tits. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, Sam, if Sam or Becky was here, that would probably be the comment. Wow. That, that, I mean, hey, they gave that, 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 that's, that sounds like an all-win cast to me. Judith so, also uh, likes to blow things up, actually. Judith, uh, yeah. She's, uh, she's actually one of the ones hunting down these blastier things and destroying them because she, um, she knows they're evil or something. I thought she was just trying to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, the only, the only time, the only time the, the, the Judith's expression changes from like her calm self to anything resembling any emotion at all is when she's fighting something. Hmm. So she just wields a, a blade on a stick, and is actually quite fun as a playable character. Well, it sounds like the the characters are definitely. You guys, you, you forgot about the old man. The old man. Oh, Raven? yeah, Raven. Duh. What about Raven? Yes, Raven, Raven is... five. Yeah, Raven's like the oldest Tales character ever. Wow. Why doesn't he have gray yeah. hair? Well, by, by technicality, he also manages to be older than Jade in Abyss as well. Technicality. <laughs> so, um, sounds like a pretty then, memorable cast of characters. And then, and then, as I say, Flynn is like a base. Flynn himself is like a callback to Kless. He even looks like him. Um, and in fact, so much so that when they did the um, in the PS3 version, when they did uh, each character gets a costume based on a previous Tales character, uh, Flynn's cost- cameo costume is Kless. You know, he if 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 it was if it was a slightly different universe, Flynn would be the main character. 
except he isn't. And I think for, I think he may actually resent that in a couple of occasions. You can I think you can almost tell that Flynn wants to be the main character, but the game isn't that. So, yes, it, it's a very quite an interesting cast of characters. Yeah, the cast is one of the story's strongest points. Certainly not the plot. Mm, okay. I, I personally, I I was willing to forgive the the kind of the, the sillier elements on the plot, if only because of how the cast of characters actually went about handling it. It's like the the, the game sets up the plot in a particular way, and then the rest of most, half the party just kind of laughs at it. I mean, you know what? I agree with you there. I I, I love I love the story of this story, but only because uh, only so far as the characters made it what it was. Uh, the actual plot of the game I thought was pretty forgettable, and honestly, I couldn't tell you what happens in the second half of the game anymore because I really did not like the way the game was structured. I, I, I didn't like the way this, they structured the story. I, like I said before, I thought it was uh, the uh, it was basically three quests tied together with uh, re- really pathetic uh, chords or strings just bringing yeah. these multiple tales together. Hmm. Which Which isn't bad per se, but it's just it could have been handled better. Probably, um, and but I I, I say I, I feel that um, the, the the way the characters instead while the plot is forgettable while the characters the way the characters interact with it is what gives the character gives the plot its kind of charm as it were, and it's one of the reasons why Vesperia remain at the moment remains my fail my favorite Tales of game because mostly because of the memorable memorable cast of characters and uh, the best version of the battle system I feel. Oh, I think we can all agree with you there. Uh, the combat system in Vesperia is fantastic. It's basically a uh, it, it's basically the ultimate evolution of uh, Tales of the Abyss's combat system. It's it's no, there's nothing really new there, but well, except for the uh, what are they called the uh, the oh, what are they called the chain things where you can uh, the the instant kill things or whatever they're called. Oh, fatal strikes. Yeah, the fatal strikes. That's it. Uh, aside from that, there's not really anything. Particularly new there, but it's all uh, been yeah, refined. Um, things like um, yeah, there's things also things like um, uh, the burst art and altered art things, which they've kind of starting to use in the other games as well, um, where equipping certain skills on a character would cause your abilities to change. Um, right. After, and then they would be learned then as separate abilities after you'd used them a certain number of times, which I thought was a relatively good system. Because um, uh, uh, Vesperia goes back to the system where um, the ability you learn abilities off equipment, which I don't know if any of the other t- games done that. Not Tales games, but there have been other games. Uh, this, it's the same system that was used in Final Fantasy IX. Yeah, Final Fantasy IX was going to be the comparison I, I was going to make because I couldn't couldn't think of any other Tales game that uses it. Um, but yeah, you you learn you don't necessarily learn spells. Those you know spells and like attacks and stuff still come as come as you level up. But abilities like um, you get a certain number of ability points, and um, but to actually learn them, you have to find the weapons with them on, and then go and beat some enemies up to get some experience points, and then you then learn them, and then you could take the weapon off and learn something else. And there are a lot of abilities to learn, which means that. You know, you could um, customize your characters quite a lot, which I thought added a lot to the game. Personally. That whole system ended up tying into the crafting system, and the crafting system ended up being probably... Actually, I think it is the best crafting system in the Tales series as well. Hmm. 
Yes, um, I'd, I'd actually, because I mean, hell, in, in one instance, there's, um, I think, I believe there, there is one item you, that gives the grants a very useful ability to Yuri, which you can ordinarily only get by killing um, the, the, um, I think it's only by getting, killing the final boss in a specific way, by killing him with a Mystic Art. And that would yeah. get you a weapon you know, that would unlock when you save her. And I know in the PS3 version was they also added a way to actually craft that weapon if you just couldn't get that requirement done. Um, the, I'm referring to the last last fencer weapon for anyone who's curious. Yeah. Um, which grants a very useful ability to Yuri where he doesn't flinch when taking battle damage, I think. Um, that is useful. Yeah, in, That's, uh, in the, in the, in the PS3 version, you can, you can, if you find the ingredients for it, you can craft it. Uh, yeah, very good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, overall, sounds like a pretty, pretty interesting and fun game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, AJ, no, I mean, AJ, you've been kind of. Uh, I mean, you've you've been chipping in some thoughts, and you too, Mike. What would y'all have some other thoughts you'd like to jump in here with? Yes. Uh, I mean, I haven't finished it like the other two have but based on what I've played and what they've said it's doesn't do that much new but it's kind of the tale series polished almost to perfection mm-hmm. like the battle system crafting system everything what about you Adrian you got any additional thoughts you'd like to, to add my biggest complaint with Vesperia, when I first played it on the Xbox 360, was that there was nothing original about it. There's really absolutely nothing new about this game at all. But it is so well refined that it's without question worth playing. And uh, if you uh, were to ignore the entire rest of the series, it would be it would stand as a fantastic game on its own, just because it's been refined to a razor's edge. It's 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 just there's really not much they could do uh, more they could do with that battle system to make it better, and that's why I think with Graces they ended up trying something new. And actually, I think that's why they tried something slightly different with uh, Symphonia Two as well. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Although, although they, I, I I think in this um, this uh, Dawn of the New Worlds case, I'm not quite sure if it was entirely successful. Well, um, I would actually say it's very successful. It, uh, but we'll get into that when we get into that game. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that game. Why not? So, a few months after Xbox 360 owners got uh, got Tales of Vesperia, we owners got another installment of Tales of Symphonia. Tales of Symphonia Two, uh, Dawn of the New World came out just a few months afterwards, uh, around November 11th, give or take. This is a single-player and multiplayer cooperative console RPG experience developed by Namkai Tail Studios, published by Namco Bandai. This one is rated T for teens. So, certainly, this game must be every bit as good as Vesperia, since it came out about the same time, right? Um, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, a, a short answer, no. Long answer, debatable. Uh... Long answer, it really depends on how much you loved Symphonia. And in fact, if you really liked Symphonia, you may not like Dawn of the New World. In the same way that if you really, really liked Final Fantasy X, you may not like Final Fantasy X too. And I'll tell you that, I mean, 
you know, we were talking a little before on one of the other Tales games, when I was making fun of the fact that the critics and the readers gave these things vastly different scores. With Tales of Symphonia 2, it seemed to divide even the critics. I mean, the scores are all over the place with this guy. I mean, and the criticisms, when you read into the text reviews, I was looking through them. Um, I mean, you see one guy praise the voice acting, another guy puts it down. You see one person praise the battle system, another person puts it down. Well, I mean, this is a very divisive yeah. game. It's, the divisive area, uh, elements of the game are almost all the subje- uh, the really subjective stuff. Uh, the story, the characters. It's it's got an it's got an interesting story. It does it like I uh, I was talking when we were talking about Legendia. I mentioned that Legendia is probably one of the one of the most unique Tales games out there. Symphonia 2, I would say, is the second most unique. Um, it it t- uh, steps away from the traditional Tales games, just like uh, Legendia 2 did, but in an entirely different way. Uh, let's, I might as well set the stage now. Um, Symphonia 2 takes place two years after the events of Symphonia. Uh, all the characters from Symphonia have uh, parted ways. They've gone off into their own dis- uh, different areas. Uh, and this... New game takes uh, it follows a new character called uh, named Emil, and uh, he uh, his parents were mur- uh, murdered uh, in uh, his hometown. He watched them die, and uh, they were killed as he saw it by Lloyd, the hero of the first game. And this sort of sets the stage. Uh, at that point, he moves on to uh, he's moves in with his aunt and uncle in the city of Lewin, and uh, he ends up. Getting dragged into this uh, into this uh, sort of weird quest, uh, being run by this girl named Marta, uh, and they end up traveling the world trying to figure out why there's been such unusual weather patterns happening all over the world since uh, the end of Symphonia. So th- that's the basic plot of the game, but uh, the main focus of the game, by far, is the relationship between Emil and Marta. Unlike most Tales games, which have uh, anywhere between four and eight characters as a main focus, Tales of Symphonia Dawn of the New World has two characters as the main focus. Emil and Marta are the only playable characters in the game. Oh, wow. Uh, All your other party members uh, are actually monsters that you can catch. Symphonia Dawn of the New World is actually a uh, monster-catching game similar to uh, Pokemon or uh, Monster Rancher or any other similar monster-catching game. So... um... Before yeah, before we talk about the monster portion of it, uh, the characters. Since there's only two characters, then I mean, does does that help it? Since usually when you have fewer characters to focus on, you can usually get better character development. This is this is where a lot of people are divided on it because a lot of people are are used to the Tales game and they like having their characters with lots of interesting personalities and lots of. Uh, Lots of variety and interesting humorous banter and stuff like that. The, there's plenty of humorous banter. In fact, the, tale, the skits in Dawn of the New World are some of the best in the series. But uh, the the game is extremely focused on those two characters. The other Tales char- t- uh, characters from Tales of Symphonia show up, but don't receive really any kind of additional character development or anything like that. The, all the yeah, because technically they've already them. had their character development it, in the exactly, previous game. Exactly. So all the focus is on Emil and Marta, and the game actually ends up being almost a ro- uh, basically a romance game, and uh, the romance between uh, the, the burgeoning romance between Emil and Marta, and also the uh, the self conflict that Emil goes through, uh, the identity crisis. He goes through an identity crisis over the course of the game. It takes center stage and is actually, I, at least I thought, was really well done. Hmm. Okay. 
Did you have any thoughts on that, John? Um, well, I say I I only um, watched quite a lot of um, Tales of the, uh, Dawn of the New World being played by my housemate. Um, he was the one play- he borrowed it from a friend and was playing it on his Wii, and I just happened to be in the room at the sort of the, at the same time. So I I got to, I I certainly uh, I will certainly agree that the skits were really were quite amusing at times. Um, I, this comes from the fact that. Um, Early on in the game, you're joined by um, a large black cat-like creature called Tenebrae, um, who uh, Marta spends no time at all antagonizing extremely swiftly by calling him um, all kinds of nicknames, which spreads to Colette as well in an amusing fashion. Um, but, I, yeah, it, 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 the, the game is, is very focused on... Um, you know these two characters and what they go through, um, and the fact that the the kind of um, the split personality that Emil develops is basically a dick, a colossal dick. <laughs> I think I think Adrian might be agree with me there. That the, you know the person, the other personality inside Emil is an asshole. No, I agree completely. He is an asshole, and that's kind of the as one of the interesting things is uh, there's a the split personality there exact opposites and uh emil uh, emil is uh the, the split personality's name is ratatosk and he's a, a major player in the game as well in fact it's what you're trying to it's, it's the central element of your quest but uh the the uh emil is a pansy he's a complete pansy he's totally he's he's a wuss he's he, he's a wet blanket and he gets walked all over by everyone Meanwhile, he, Radatosk, I, think, I, mean, hell, I think even Colette walks over him at one point. Yes, which I, I think he, I think she does actually, which is kind of shocking. Uh, and then Ratatosk is a, as as uh, <laughs> as John said, he's a dick. He's a complete dick. And uh, the whole the whole time he's uh, anytime he takes control, he does all the fighting while Emil sort of stands back and just sort of wanders and tries to his best to stay out of the way. Uh, so it's really interesting how, how the split personality uh, goes about. But what's really cool about the game, as as it progresses and as this uh, as the character develops, is that these two split personalities begin to merge together into one. Ratatosk starts to become a little bit more of a, like a more of a decent person, while on the other side, uh, Emil starts to show a little backbone, and it all culminates into a giant battle at the end where he is actually fighting himself and it, it it's really well done doesn't and i believe I, um dawn of the new world is one of those rare tales games where it has um has multiple endings depending on the outcome of certain yes battles. it it, it yeah. does have multiple endings there's, but it's not that particular battle it's the battle before it um there's a good ending and a bad ending depending on if you win or lose a particular battle mm it wasn't actually on there three endings um there might have been i don't remember i don't it's like remember a, it's like a good ending a norm en- normal ending and a bad ending um i think there may be just one in there that people usually get and ignore the other one or something yeah. I- i'm not certain it's possible there are three you might be right but either way um the the one battle where you have to either win or lose uh it- it's interesting because the good ending you get by losing which is very unusual for a game. Most of the time, if you lose a particular battle, you'll get the bad ending, and then if you win it, if you beat it, you'll get the good ending. It's the exact opposite in this case. In, in this case, you want to lose. Hmm. 
Well, that's pretty easy to do, usually. Well, actually, it's easier said than done, because at that point, you're so powerful, it's so easy to take those characters, uh, the two characters that you're fighting out, and it's extremely easy to win that battle, and unless you're really paying attention to the story, you have to pay attention to the story and the clues in the story that tell you that, hey, you know, you don't want to do this. Mm. And so you basically have to take a leap of faith and lose the battle. Ah. <laughs> mm, interesting. Well, that sounds pretty neat. Yeah, that's kind of a neat little twist. I mean, you can either look at that as a positive or a negative. You can look at that as a reward for paying attention to the story and picking up on the you know the, the things that are said or you can see that as a oh my gosh I have to go look up something in an FAQ <laughs> to get the good ending hmm so so um, I... let's talk about the talk about the you mentioned earlier about the uh, Pokemon <laughs> element of it since you've only got two main characters how do you fill out the rest of your team for combat purposes well any any monster that you encounter in the game, aside from most bosses, uh, can be captured and won. And the way it's done is actually quite interesting. Uh, the the combat system, uh, every battlefield uh, in the game has a uh, uh, an element to it. Actually, they have five elements to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as you uh, use attacks, uh, this game has a very heavy focus on elemental attacks. Almost every attack Emil learns over the course of the game is uh, an elemental attack. And every time he uses an elemental attack, he changes a little bit on this, uh, on this uh, map into that element. But, uh, but the same thing happens if an enemy uses an elemental attack. Uh, the bit changes as well into that new element. When you get three of the same element in the row of the, uh, uh, on the bits, um, the main element of the thing changes to a certain color. And when... Uh, and you can just change the element, and uh, spells of that element are changed. If you can get all five of the bits and the main color to be the same element, at that point you can use an attack of that element to kill a monster, and at that point you'll capture the monster. Mm. It sounds more complicated than it actually is. Uh, once you actually get into it, it's really easy to pull off, uh, although it takes a while to be able to do it consistently. You need some of the more advanced spells in order to be able to do it really consistently. But at the same time, it's still fairly easy to acquire monsters. You'll, you'll acquire them by accident. And uh, at that point, you can level them up just like normal party members. They'll fight alongside you. Uh, they'll evolve into new forms as they gain levels. You can uh, use the cooking system from Tales, previous Tales games. is actually changed, and you end up cooking monster food. And you can use the monster food to feed your monsters and level them up. Uh, which is interesting as well because the monsters end up being ridiculously high levels towards the end of the game, much higher than Emil or Marta end up being. Like we're talking about, like you're, you'll have a level 160 Fenrir or something like that, while your main characters are like level 60. <laughs> so, well, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, does would that mean would that does that make you feel broken then? No, not at all, because the monsters aren't nearly as powerful as you are. Like their stats will go up really fast. Uh, well. Not so much fast. When they, once they, they, they need the, the lev- they need the levels to, to kind of offset the fact that they are less powerful otherwise. Sort uh, of thing. Yes, exactly. And uh, as, as you as they gain levels and they gain more stats and stuff like that, you can actually devolve them back down to level one, 
uh, once they reach a certain, uh, like, their maximum evolution, they can go back down to level one in their pre uh, original evolution, but they maintain a bunch of their stats. So you can keep doing that over and over again and eventually, essentially create a, a more powerful monster each time. Like um, Disgaea's reincarnation. I, I was about to say, I can hear Disgaea fans foaming at the mouth now, you know, all it, salivating, you know. It is a bit like you know? Disgaea's reincarnation system, but I found it was uh, more accessible uh, in that... Uh, Grinding them back up in levels, thanks to the cooking system, doesn't take nearly as long as it does. I, in I, I, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I, you know, a, a game more accessible than Disgaea. Oh, I'll say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hard on. thing to do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, was, I, I think the other thing was it is possible to have the um, the various Tales of characters. Uh, you know, the various characters. From yes, the that is true. I, I should have mentioned that you can have the old Tales characters, but the downside to that is that they are stuck at level 50. They oh, yep. well, actually, they're stuck at whatever level they're at when you acquire them. Oh. They never gain any levels, they never gain any experience, they never learn any new skills. They're, oh. they're static. Yeah, like... oh, well, that's hardly any fun. Well, they're, well, they're, they're, fun, they're fun to have in your party during the sections that you have them during the course of the game. And at the time, at the time they're generally powerful enough that they're worth supplanting your uh, monster characters. But uh -huh. towards the end of the game... When they all join you, join up with you, they're just there for story purposes. And, You're not and also, um, they are they are uh, quite nice to have as well by the fact that some of them have some hilarious dialogue. Now that's what I was about to ask. So it sounds like it's but but so basically, you get to keep them in your party for dialogue and story purposes, but you you can use your monsters to fight instead. Yeah, you can you can use the, you can use them in your party if you want, but like I said, their level is static. Mm -hmm. Although they're useful for uh, some of the characters are useful for out of bat uh, out of battle healing and stuff like that to save oh. mana and whatnot. Oh, that's pretty neat. Okay, that, that's so. And, I mean, and, go ahead. And things, and I'll say, think like the characters have main. You know, they they have, I think they've done a relatively good job of maintaining the characterization of the various Symphonia characters over the course of a couple of years. I mean, yeah. um, I like the fact that Sheena still feels compelled to enact horrible acts of violence against Zelos. Yes. Uh, whenever, whenever the two of them are anywhere near each other, mm -hmm. yeah, the, only I, the only character that's really any different at all is Lloyd. Yeah, because he's. Um, uh, I, and I'm just trying. I know the only thing I never really figured out with Lloyd is it, his characterization in um, Dawn of the New World. It's like has his character development from Symphonia taken effect or not, or is it? I, he's I, he's I essentially know. he's essentially gotten uh, he, he's gotten into a sort of a. A pessimistic streak. He's a uh, he was he was an idealist in Symphonia, and he's become a realist in Symphonia too. His mm. uh, his experiences over the course of the first game have changed him, and now he's trying a less idealistic approach. Yeah, mm. uh, that's probably a fair assessment. Mm. Well, I mean, this, so far this sounds you know pretty positive overall. How does the battle system, you know, fare up? I mean, um, the battle system again is a refined version of Abyss. Uh, it's not quite as refined as Vesperia's, but it's still, it's still more refined than Abyss's. Um, the the thing that uh, is notable about uh, Dawn of the New World is that the combat system, uh, it's Emil's attacks are extremely focused on aerial attacks. While most Tales protagonists have a whole bunch of ground attacks, Emil takes to the sky and all all his attacks are airborne which is really different and actually it flows really well it's a lot of fun to play as it's it, it's something different that most tales players probably don't experience unless they take on 
say, Judith in Vesperia or a handful of other similar characters. Oh, I play, um, I was thinking, uh, any, most of the characters in uh, the remake of Destiny, which only the import players will have played. Mm. Which, uh, de- the import, the, re- the remake of Destiny did have a large focus on, because it, it was in two dimensions, uh, because the battle system was still in two dimensions, they put a large uh, be- uh, kind of emphasis on performing long aerial combos. So they turned um, Stan into quite the aerial, aerial combat guy, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't picture that. Stan always pictured me as too lazy to ever jump. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hmm. So, I mean, so overall, pretty positive then. I mean, as far as the battle system goes, pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I I enjoyed the game. I I liked the I liked the monster catching system. I I enjoyed the uh, the story between uh, Emil and Marta and uh, Emil and Ratatosk. And I I thought overall it was a really a really solid game. The uh only thing it was really lacking was uh technical polish. Uh the visuals are just busted. They're absolutely horrible. Oh. Uh, like the char- the character designs are solid, but the uh the visuals just do not look good at all. Uh they they look weaker than Significantly weaker than Symphonia, weaker than Abyss, weaker than Legendia. They are among the worst visuals in the Tales series, if unless you go back to say Destiny. I mean, is it just is it lack of? I mean, is it poor texturing, lack of art it's, direction? It's, it's poor. It's a poor engine. That's the problem. The engine is shit. It's mm-hmm. uh, there's a ton of aliasing, uh, really noticeable aliasing. Um, a lot of uh, bad motion blur and things like that. Uh, like if uh, the camera's panning, uh, the aliasing will—you'll see uh, like pillars and bits of the wall shimmering as the camera pans. It—it's it, really distracting and really bad. Hmm. 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 Well, and it looks like um, so. I mean, overall, though, if you—I mean, I mean—and you always hear a lot of our a lot of our listeners and and. Reviewers alike will say that, you know, graphics are great, but they're not the main point of RPGs. So, I mean, it really sounds like overall it's a pretty positive experience, visuals aside. Well, again, it's going to be a subjective thing. Like like you said earlier, your uh, all the review, critical reviews, a lot of people really don't like Emil and really don't like Marta. And honestly, I can understand some of that because, like we said, uh, like me and John were saying, Emil, he's a real pushover. He's... He is quite annoying. He's he's not a he's not a cool uh, cool character. He's not the typical cool tales protagonist. He's a uh, he's a dorky kid, really. And a lot of people don't like that. They find it annoying. And, but and, uh, and Mart- I think a lot of people uh, don't give the game a chance too. And Marta, at least in the early, early game, just comes off as um, clingy, clingy, hyperactive, and annoying. Yeah, like it, it, they start off as typical JRPG tropes, right? Really, but as the game of uh, they're, they both change over the course of the game, too, and that's one of the things that's really interesting. Uh, and I think a lot of the reviewers for that particular game didn't really give the story a chance. They just said, man, I hate these characters, and just left it at that. They started ignoring the game, and they didn't really see how the characters changed and evolved. Well, we know that you, our very own Adrian Din Alden, um, gave it a 3.5 out of 5 at RP Gamer, so overall a, a good score. Um, interestingly enough, we had three reader reviews. Two of them gave it a 3.5. And Strawberry Eggs, who oftentimes does audio reviews, and I'll be surprised if she doesn't mail one in soon on this one, but she gave it a 4 out of 5. And just looking over a cursory scan of her review, 
mentions some of the same things you've mentioned. She says uh, it's got terrible voice, uh, and terrible, <laughs> I meant to say terrific voice acting and dialogue, uh, funnier than the first game. Uh, she liked the battle system. She thinks that the uh, new characters that were there uh, were had great interaction, said the visuals were weak, and that uh, a lot of the old characters uh, had little to no new development. So, but overall, she liked it a lot and gave it a four out of five. So it seems like, I mean, of course, as we all know, our our readers, uh, especially the ones who take the time to write reviews, most of them, <laughs> anyways, are absolutely the best uh, judge judgers and reviewers of RP games on the planet because these are people who do these types of things for the love of of the games. So. I would definitely, if you're looking and you're thinking about whether or not to dive into this one, aside from all the the really great and detailed information that our panel has brought to the table here, I encourage our listeners to check out RPGamer.com. Use a little search engine thingy to pull it up and, and check out some of the reader reviews as well as our, for more detailed information, you can always check out Adrian's uh, well-written review, official staff review. So, all right. Um, let's see here. This is where we kind of wrap it up. So we, we've done a whole bunch of Tales. We've done a whole bunch of Tales games. And so what I would like to ask from each one of you is out of the games we talked about today and today only, what's your favorite one? And give me a 60-second synopsis of why people should rush out and buy it. Okay? And we're going to start with Mr. Adrian. Well... Um, I'm going to have to go with Legendia on this, and I know that's a very odd choice. Um, honestly, I wouldn't recommend anyone to go out and buy this right away. It's a very subjective game. Uh, you're going to either love it or you're going to hate it, and uh, it's really all going to be dependent on whether or not you like the, sto- uh, like the story. So my suggestion to you would be to rush out to YouTube and watch some clips and see if the story looks like it's going to be something that's going to appeal to you. And if that's the case, then by all means, rush out and buy it. Fair enough. Mr. John. Um, I, well, uh, somewhat predictably, my, my top pick on this one is Vesperia. Um, yeah, I, as, we, as we said on the segments for it, it's kind of like the most refined Tales experience out there. Um, while the, the plot may not be anything to write home about, um, it's, it's not necessarily it's not the plot that you really could be playing it for. It's more how the characters react to the plot. Um, and it, you know, it, it, I think it definitely has its its funny moments, and is very much well worth playing. Um, but it does have an, a really good battle system, and you know, if you like tales of battle systems, you you know, you can't. It's you, you'd be hard pressed to do any. You'd be hard pressed to find better, really. So that's 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 my take on it. Okay. Last but most certainly not least, Mike. Radiant mythology. <laughs> you really hate our listeners, don't you? No, I'm just kidding. Tales of the no, no, wait, 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 wait. Think about this for a second. If you, if you, if the listeners go and play Radiant Mythology first, then every other Tales game will feel like absolute heaven afterwards. No, no, no. Don't go there because you know what? <laughs> Michael Cunningham, our editor in chief, he play his first Tales game was Tales of uh, Tales, uh, Radiant with Radiant Mythology, and he has yet to play another one. Ooh, scarred for life, huh? Very much so. Ouch. Okay, what, what did you really have in mind, Mike? It, Tales of the Abyss. You know, it's a great battle system, good characters, great localization, and even though the game kind of drags near the end, uh, I think by that point the story and characters will keep you going. And I think most people will really like it. 
Jade, Jade is awesome. Uh, there is yes, a doubt. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I, we're gonna. I say, if, if I was just gonna mention at least one small thing, I think Jade is such an awesome character. I have actually cosplayed as him once. <laughs> there you are. That, that speaks volumes of his quality as a character. And while our audience sits around envisioning John with his cool English accent dressed up in cosplay, we're going to take a little bit of a break and come back with Mike's Import Corner. We'll be right back. Listeners know we like to do Mike's import corner, and while we don't have the same Mike, we don't always have because we couldn't make it today. Um, I pulled up my own my iPhone, looked up a new app, Mike's apps, in fact. <sighs> <laughs> Just can't help myself. And it's this new iPhone app that gives me an import corner, even Mike Minky isn't here. So I understand we're going to be talking about Tales of Graces, developed by Namco Tales Studio, published by Namco Bandai, in Japan, the Wii Place, and on the PlayStation 3, December 10, 2009. Now, this isn't really, you know, old enough normally to be on RPG Backtrack, but because we are talking about Tales, and this is uh, something that is or is not coming to the U.S.? Is, is it coming to the U.S.? Probably, Probably not. not. Probably not. So, if this, this is something I'm sure that if Mike Mickey was here, he'd want it talked about. And so, he's kind of here in spirit through the iPhone apps. So, go for it. Uh, all right. So, Tales of Graces originally came out for the Wii in 2009. And it was essentially a giant mess of a game, so much so that uh, they had to recall the game. Whoa. And, Whoa, yep. recall the game. Yep. Whoa, what the heck yeah. happened? Bugs. Bugs happened. Lots of bugs. I, I Wow, I mean, you hear about the occasional bug in a console game, but, I mean, like in Red Dead Redemption, your horse will get stuck in the grass sometimes. But, I mean, nothing super earth-shattering. I mean, you don't see... I've never heard of a game being recalled before in America. Well, remember that it's on the Wii, so that there's not necessarily a way to patch. Uh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Got it. Yeah. So, so how how was it broken? Uh, I can't tell you specifics. Uh, just that it was it's really bad, and I've heard that even the fixed version still has a lot of issues. Wow. So, in order to play Tales of Graces, you really need to have a lot of grace. The original version, yes. And I wouldn't recommend trying it. 
<laughs> right. So this you is... need you need a Japanese Wii anyway, or you need to hack. It. Yes, because the uh, the Wii, unless you use hacks, is not region free. Unlike the PS3. I'm about to say yeah. now. So, but we do have you know a PS3 version, and and the PS3 is pretty much region free, I believe. Right. It Tales is. of Grace's yeah. F. Yes, so they've re-released the game for the PS3 with extras, upgraded visuals, all that good stuff. And as far as I can tell, um, it doesn't have any major problems. And even if it does, they can patch it. So, <laughs> not, not surprisingly, I believe this version has already outsold the Wii version. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Despite only being out for about a month. <laughs> yes, so you've been playing this beauty? Yes, I've been playing it a little bit slowly, though. Um, the good thing about this is some Tales fans who actually apparently play the Wii version have, or I believe are in the progress of doing, like, subs of all the story sequences. So I've basically been playing for a few hours, then going back on YouTube and watching the story sequences to try and keep up with things. Um Although I'm probably actually going to try and... They've, they've even done, like, the skits, which I'll probably try and skip because so far it's been slow going. But um, I can give you a quick plot synopsis. Um, essentially, you start this game as a kid and kind of um, play through... I don't know. I'm not sure how long that sequence is, but it kind of starts off in that way and then... A character supposedly dies, and it moves on to the adult sequence, and the game kind of takes off from there. Um, you know, obviously, being in Japanese and me not knowing any Japanese, I can't tell you as much about the characters, um, other than they look really good on the PS3. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a, they did a really good job of upscaling the graphics so much so that it almost. It almost looks like it's maybe, you know, a, just a lower-budget PS3 game instead of a game that was ported from the Wii. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how's, the, how's the, the battle system shaping up for you? The battle system is really, really interesting. Um, it's, obviously, it's in 3D, but it's essentially plays out like um, the Tales of Destiny remake battle system which was also used in, like, Tales of Hearts, only instead of, like, on a 2D plane, you're actually moving forwards and backwards. And then you can also sidestep from there, and it also includes um, free movement around the battlefield. But the base, the basic movement is forward and backwards. And like the Destiny remake, uh, there's no MP or anything like that, so things move a lot quicker. It's a lot more about combos and things like that. And I've actually upped the difficulty up a lot, and it it makes it really, really cool. I'd call it um, almost strategic button mashing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of have to move really, really quickly, use blocks effectively, effectively dodge. Side, um, yeah, sidesteps and the like. I've, yep, I've seen that steps. with uh, the stuff that I've been following with yep. regards to it. Eh. So... So that sounds pretty cool. What about the uh, what about the music? The music, um, it's I don't typical Sakura. Typical yeah. Sakuraba fair. Uh, I wouldn't call it that actually. I think I think there's I've, some of the music is 
more interesting than some of his normal work. Like I've listened to a lot of, uh, I guess there's a, several different battle themes. I've listened to a lot of them on YouTube, and they're they're pretty interesting. And I I actually would say it's not the typical fair in a lot of places. Like some of some of the overworld music um, is kind of you know your typical thing, but you know the the battle music and some of the more somber pieces are a little more interesting than the typical Tales game. Um, and speaking of the overworld, uh, this follows in the footsteps of Tales of Hearts in that there's no overworld map. It's just all the areas are interconnected and you know there's no transition to a world map and walking around that way. Um, I don't know if maybe later in the game there's some kind of vehicle you can travel around the world in that might use a world map, but for basic on-foot travel, uh, that's how you get around. Just interne- interconnected areas, and I think it it makes the game feel a lot more cohesive. Hmm. Hmm. Sounds pretty neat. So it sounds like it's, you're enjoying it. Yes, it's... it's um, though, you know, the art style and a lot of things are typical tales, it... it you know, although I, I mean the battle system is essentially taking an older system and adding on to it, it feels fresh. You know, uh, like uh, Vesperia felt more like you know, kind of your old typical tales, just refined to a point. This feels kind of new and interesting, and does a lot of cool things that you don't typically see with the series. And I'm really looking forward to playing more of it once I can get Resonance of Fate out of my PlayStation 3. <laughs> so tell us, um, uh, even for for those who really aren't into the import scene or something, I mean, a lot of times when we, when we talk about Import Corner, we're talking about Dreamcast games or some of the older ones that, you know, may a lot, would have limited, would have a more limited appeal because they're, they're really older games. But this is something that's fairly new, and a lot of people have a PlayStation 3, so, I mean, that's open region, so just about anybody can play this game, but how, what steps did you go through to actually obtain it, and how much did it cost? Uh, it was pretty expensive. I got the Japanese version because I already have a Japanese PSN account, so I wanted to do that for you know, like downloadable content purposes. But uh, the, you can get an Asia version, Asian version for I think like $60 online. So, well, actually, a little more than sixty dollars. So, kind of almost right around the new PlayStation Three. You know, game I, price. I, I, I personally had to go step through a, a couple more steps with right. regards to getting this, PS3 this, games. This is referring to the U.S. If you're outside of the U.S., it will possibly be more difficult. Well, I, I, I will mention it myself. Um, basically. Um, those of you outside of the U.S., in fact, some of you, those of you in the U.S. may recall uh, an import site called Licksang that used to operate about five years ago, and they closed down. Um, and the reason they closed down was uh, a, there was a, a court battle, I believe, that was hosted in the U.K. about um, import... Uh, I, someone basically, I think it was someone at Sony, threw a hissy fit about it was PSPs being imported from outside, uh, you know, sort of outside territories. So, uh, as a result of that um, court case, Licksang closed down. And as a result, um, the other big um, importers of stuff, or a couple of them, will now refuse to, to send current generations, so PSP and PS3 games, 
to the UK and various other areas inside Europe. Um, which means that when I came to try and buy um, Tales of Grace Zeph, um, I actually had to have it imported into America, and I'm still waiting for it to um, be sent out from America because Christmas forced the delivery prices to go up to astronomical quality amounts. Um, I believe the quoted price before Christmas was something like $110 to have it shipped out of America. Dang. <laughs> was a little bit beyond what I was really reasonably sort of willing to pay. Wow. Well, I don't blame uh, you on that one. So I'm kind of waiting for New Year, and then I can get my copy of it so I can actually play it. Wow. Well. All righty. Well. So you guys, you guys in America actually get it quite easy. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So if you're in America, check out Tales of Graces. If you're outside of America and you're just a rich person, check out Tales of Graces. <laughs> yes, and uh, look on YouTube. There's uh, sub videos from the Wii version, but obviously it's the same game. The only problem you'd run into is it's not going to have like the extra story sequences that were added for the PlayStation game, which apparently are as long as the normal game. Mm. So, hmm. but maybe that's ongoing. Maybe they'll add that on once they finish the original game. Hmm. Okay. Coolie beans. So while everyone's looking that up, we'll take one final break and wrap this up. Hang off. on, hang on, hang on. There's another one I wanted to cover. Hey, we have a whole list of games here. Well, we can't cover oh. a whole list of games. It's a five-minute segment. Oh, right. <laughs> I was at least going. I was going to personally. I was at least going to mention, just briefly mention, uh, Vesperia PS3 as well, mm-hmm. the other PS3 remake of a of a um, of uh, this time of a game that did actually come out in America, because obviously, as we know, Vesperia um, came out in the 360, um, and it yeah, people got to play it. It was pretty awesome. But they some people also noticed that um, the developers had quite obviously cut content from Vesperia in a couple of places. I think most notoriously was a, a certain um, pirate hat, um, which the developers continually denied was anything to do with content that they cut from the game. And then they released the uh, PS3 version, which has um, a couple of additional characters, one of whom is a a pirate girl called Patty, um, who um, sort of spends the first part of the game, sort of making occasional appearances before finally joining your party in the sec- during the second half. Um, and she's one of the things that they they added kind of wholesale to the PS3 version. Um, her kind of shtick is all of her abilities kind of tie in, have a gambling theme. So. Um, most of her abilities have a kind of quite random outcome. Half of them can actually harm her, um, and the other half just kind of produce random effects. Like, she, she has an ability where she has the capability to um, use any of the game's highest-tier magic spells, but it's entirely random as to which one she actually casts. Um, which can add a kind of more random element to battles if you're into that one and pray regularly to the random number god. <laughs> so, um, and then the other character that they add is um, Flynn himself. Um, after the events in, um, after the battle in which he and Yuri have a duel to settle their differences, 
in the 360 version, he sort of um, carries on as uh, like a, a mayor to this town that they founded. In the uh, PS3 version, they rewrite that section. So instead, Flynn joins the party to um, yeah, sort of joins you to go and fight the final boss, effectively. See, he's a very late... He joins your party a couple of other times when the plot asks for it, but otherwise he kind of... Uh, he, he joins as a kind of permanent party member towards the end. Um, and they've like, right, rewritten his, his move list and his skill list and turned him into a fully-fledged party member. Um, and then, basically, uh, most of the other stuff was... Um, there's an addition of um, another... There's another bonus dungeon you can go through, which ties up some of the plot elements. Um, they've rewritten certain scenes to include the new character, uh, or characters, um, and they've added a couple of um, additional scenes, which just kind of help um, explain the plot better. And then they've just added in things like um, uh, there's uh, while in the original Disperia, um there was. Um, you could do like the the arena battles with, with, with single characters. Um, in the PS3 version, there are now there's now a mode where you take your entire party into the arena to fight a series of special fights, which culminates in a fight against all four of the um, cameo characters that make their appearance. And then finally, you're forced to fight against the party members you didn't take with you. Mm. In a kind Ooh, of form. nice four-on-five battle where they all have boss-level stats and HP, which, if you haven't taken Estelle with you, is extremely difficult. Because she then appears in the enemy party, um, and all of her healing abilities have been converted with boss-level stats. And she's really, really hard to take down. To take her down through her healing ability. It's really annoying. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, um, it's if you've played the original 360 version, the PS3 version might be worth tracking down on the basis that you probably know the storyline. Um, so, and if you I don't know feel like buying it again, do so. If you haven't played Tales of Vesperia before, it probably would be quite hard to recommend the PS3 version on the basis that the as we said, Vesperia's storyline is not necessarily complex but it's it, 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 the character dialogue is something you probably want to understand because it is quite you know well done at times so yeah i, I yeah it's something, it's hard to recommend but if you feel if you're feeling particularly adventurous go for it it's just that it might be quite expensive <laughs> might so yeah my that's my my Mr. Mike, I see you've raised your hand here before we close out the segment. You got something else you want to add? Yes, just two quick comments about two other import games. Uh, Tales of Hearts has kind of all the same changes that Tales of Graces have, though the battle system isn't 2D, uh, and is actually really cheap if you get the uh, CG movie version instead of the anime movie version. I got it for like 20 bucks off of eBay. Um, and it doesn't really make a difference to the game because there aren't that many of those movies. So it's also a pretty linear game, so I would recommend that to anyone interested uh, in the DS tale, Tales of Tales games. And Radiant Mythology 2, 
basically fixes most of the issues that Radiant Mythology 1 had. Uh, in that you can you can get the kit character from the different Tales games right away. They actually gain levels, uh, just like your any other character does, although they still have the random characters in there for some reason. And the dungeons are a lot simpler, uh, a lot smaller, so you aren't wandering around the same hallway the whole time. Although it does still have the same boring fetch quests and whatnot. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, another another winner I see to the library. <laughs> uh, it's if if the original Radiant Mythology was an F, Radiant Mythology Two is maybe a C plus or B minus. That's <laughs> a significant improvement. <laughs> uh, yes. And Radiant the from what's been released so far of Radiant Mythology Three. It looks like they might actually finally get a decent Radiant Mythology game. Maybe. Fine. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> righty. So, whoo, boy, what a night. And it's not done yet. So, enjoy this musical selection. We'll be right back to wrap this up with the final round. know that the final laps kind of a, a place where we do a little house uh, housekeeping and whatnot and, and wrap up some of our thoughts and say goodbye to everybody and, and so i think it's it's fitting to ask this next uh, i do have a, an unusual question uh, for the panel for the final lap because i feel it's it's fitting to the fact that we've spent a number of shows uh talking about the tales games plus they they come up ever so often uh, th- throughout our, our journeys here at rpg backtrack and on rp gamer so the one question, I want to throw out something that I, I hear on the occasion when talking with other RP gamers about the Tales series, and it's usually a criticism, and I want to throw this out to you guys because you guys are really sound like experts on the Tales series, and the criticism goes a little bit like this. The Tales, the Tales games have uh, basically feel very much like ripoffs of one another. They're very much like clones of one another. So some people say that, you know, they've played one Tales game, maybe two, and they're done with it. They shouldn't play any of the newer ones or, or you know, they're not looking at them because they, they feel like it's the same old, same old. How would you respond to that type of criticism? You've got 60 seconds, and let's start this one off with Mr. Raps. Uh, people that say that haven't seen Tales of Graces. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sir, I, I, I would just say I have seen some of the battles um, in in Graces by YouTube, and it were, I think words are difficult to sum up how how smooth that battle system looks. But look at, yeah, the, true, demo. Look at yeah. the series. Look at the series as a whole, though. I mean, we're talking about. Let's go back to when did the first games come out? Super Nintendo, Game Boy Advance. It was nineteen ninety 
five, I believe, with Fantasia. Yeah. Uh huh. So look at the whole whole series as a whole. Has the series really um, has it really evolved, or has it hasn't evolved? I mean, what do you tell somebody who's just coming up to this huge tale series as a whole? Do they just pick one or two? Um, or like Final Fantasy, each one just really seems to be kind of different from the last one. They should really try them all. I mean, what do you think, Adrian? Well, I would say you played that almost all of them. <laughs> you have played all of them in the I, U.S. I've played, I've played all the ones that were released in North America. Right. I would say that there's a truth to that uh, criticism to an extent. Um, there have been certain periods in the uh, history of the series where the series has undergone a major uh, evolution. And at those points, that's where it's really worth playing. Um, if I was going to recommend games to anyone, I would say play Eternia, as that is the highest, uh, the, the best uh, incarnation of the early Tales games, which had the linear motion battle system. Uh, then play Symphonia, which I think is one of the most refined and is also the most evolutionary in that it, it brought the series into 3D. I would say play Legendia because it is completely different and off the wall in terms of story, battles, everything, really, uh, from the other Tales games. Uh, then I would suggest playing Vesperia, as it is, again, uh, a refinement of uh, the next phase of the battle system, which was started with Abyss. Uh, those four Tales games I would recommend as the core. If you're going to play any Tales games, play those four. Hmm. Anything else you two might want to add on to that? Uh, the, series, the series has evolved more than the Dragon Quest series has. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, oh, here comes all the... Oh, the flame wars have started on the boards now. <laughs> Jeff, you like Dragon Quest, too. Oh, you're just full of wit tonight. I'm sure that's another one of my iPhone apps. I press the button, and anyways, oh, it comes up with a witty oh, comment about RPGs. John, any any thoughts? I, I, I don't think I can really add... add much to what's already been said, really. Um, so, I think I'm just going to leave um, Adrian's assessment of it there, really. Fair enough. And and uh, and definitely, Adrian, you've been on pretty much all these Tales shows, haven't you? Uh, there's, we've only had two, so this is the yeah, second one. All so, of them. Uh, yes, all I have been. Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't. So, dang. Well, thanks You know, thanks to each one of you guys um, for being on the shows and whatnot and for, for taking the time out to talk about the Tales series. Hopefully, we've encouraged uh, some people to check out the gems and maybe possibly to ignore, um, obviously, the, 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 the lower points of the series. And, just, just ignore Radiant Mythology. It's all you need to do. Yeah. And, Radiant uh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, what's this? What's this radiant mythology people keep on talking about? <laughs> oh boy! Um, holy cow! So it's a it, myth. So, anywho, uh, speaking of housekeeping, we did have a few comments on our boards from our last show, which had a lot to do with um, skies of Arcadia and whatnot. Um, Strawberry Eggs writes, and she actually sent in a, a, a review of Tales. Uh, funny, <laughs> funny. She she sent in a Tales of, of Tales of Symphonia: Dawn of the New World, and I somehow screwed up on the editing. It really didn't get in. We were supposed to get in on last show, but it's actually going to get in on this show. Uh, so if you wait till the end of the show, get past the music, you'll be able to hear uh, her audio review. We'll, we'll tag that right on the end. But as far as Skies of Arcadia, she says that she agrees with uh, with our sentiments regarding the charm of the game. Uh, while the copy of uh, of the Legends version 
she had that. Uh, apparently, it was buggy or something. Um, so she would have to save often. But she still absolutely loved the game, despite uh, its issues and its archetypal nature. Um, she hadn't played many RPGs at the time, and um, aside from some Pokemon or whatnot. And she really enjoyed Pokemon. Pokemon, Poke, Pokemon, whatever. I, I don't play Pokemon. I, I think it's just the most basic RPG. Anyways, the, what do they have? Do we have a Pokemon? Have we done an RPG backtrack on Pokemon yet? We need no, to. I don't think we have. We really need. I'm to. sure it'll happen at some point. We got to catch them all so I can go on about Pokeballs and stuff. Anywho, um, she didn't feel it was really too cliched at all, and was a really really wonderful game. So um, she said that she laughed out loud when someone yelled, Zelos is all-powerful, on a subsequent playthrough of Skies, mostly after having played Tales of Symphonia. Maybe that's just her. Um, Silktail wrote um, that it's a shame that Mike didn't finish the post-game dungeons in Chrono Trigger DS, as they were some of the better, they were better than a lot of the other extras that were in the game, instead of the fetch quests uh, that were just simple dungeons with the odd puzzles. Um, although, unfortunately, with a mix of old areas reused as well as the new ones. It, she said if you play Final Fantasy IV's advanced post-game Lunar Ruins, you will have a good idea, except uh, better from being much shorter. I don't know. I played Final Fantasy Advance. No. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. No, I played the DS. I hated the Lunar Ruins on the DS. Anyways, did, did any of y'all play that? The Lunar? Did y'all play the DS Final Fantasy IV? Uh, oh, the DS one. Yes, I did. Sorry. Haven't finished it yet. Yeah, wait till you get to the moon. That's just awesome sauce, let me tell you. Um, she said she loved playing Skies of Arcadia, but regrettably never finished it. That was before realizing, uh, or he, wait, Silktail's a he or a she? I think that's a he. Um, or an it. Let's just call it an it. That before that, realized that taking a break from a game meant that they couldn't have time to finish it later. Okay. Um, anywho, and um, somebody also mentions, King Abadul mentions that he found a, a GameCube copy of the game for $16. We were talking about how expensive this little gym has become Skies of Arcadia. So he was able to find a used copy of local GameSpot. So if you're looking for it, look at GameSpot because usually once they set a price at one store, it's usually pretty similar um, throughout all the stores. So check those out. But those were our comments about the last shows. As always, you can leave your comments at rpgamer.com or board.rpgamer.com uh, right on our bulletin boards and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your comments and you do help to shape our future shows when you do that. We really, really appreciate that. Um, gentlemen, John, is there anything you want to say to everybody before we take off? Uh, no, I think I've already done enough talking. Okay. And Adrian? Uh, I think we've pretty much said everything that needs to be said. Hey, uh, Mike. Yes. You know that um, uh, one of Mike Meeky's responsibilities on the show is to um, close us out with an appropriate um, exit speech of some sort. So I hope you got one prepared as I read these final comments. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Think, think fast. <laughs> Where's my speech? <clears throat> so let me, let me do my official <clears throat> disclaimers and whatnot. Listeners may record and mail in their tune-it reviews on any of the games we're going to talk about next week, next uh, or next show, I should say. Uh, next show, we're talking about Star Ocean, Second Evolution, Artanelco 2, and a whole bucket load of Harvest Moon games. I, I, I don't even know how we're going to get through all these Harvest Moon games. I, I've never seen so many games in one show before. But he wants to talk about a huge lot of Harvest Moon games. So if you have any thoughts on Harvest Moon, please feel free to send in any two-minute uh, two reviews on any of these games. 
or you can write on bulletin boards. Uh, follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Uh, become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. And again, you can shoot me off an email at jcservantrpgamer.com. RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPG Cast, at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, please send us away. Uh. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just crashed. Let me reload my app here. <laughs> oh, no, that's a good one. <laughs> Have a good night. Have a good night. Good day. Hello, everybody. This is Strawberry Eggs, and for once, I'll be covering a blast from the recent past game, namely Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of the New World. As I mentioned on a previous auto-review, it is not as good as the original, but I enjoyed it about as much as the first game. It certainly has its fair share of flaws, but it also does several things very well. For starters, I absolutely love the new cast, especially the main hero and heroine, Emile Castagne and Marta Lualdi. I understand that several people are not fond of one or both characters, but these two are among my most favorite main protagonists in all RPG-dom. I just love Emile's growth as a character. Marta also develops, though perhaps not as much, and is an engaging person in her own right. What I most love is how the two of them help each other to grow and develop. Dawn of the New World has the best romance I've seen in a video game so far, especially since it starts as more of a joke before it really gets good. The overall plot is pretty good, though being a Tales game, it's chock full of JRPG tropes. The battle system is a blast, and it's actually more fun to play multiplayer with compared to the original, since the camera is no longer fixed on player one. I like the monster capturing and raising system as well. The graphics are somewhat on the poor side, but I liked how the character models were closer to the original art, as well as the usage of motion capture for cutscenes and much better facial expressions compared to the first game. The music is about the same, I'd say, and while several returning character voice actors were replaced, most of the voice acting is really good, especially the three who speak the most, Emile, Marta, and Tenebrae. I also have to mention that this game is quite hilarious, thanks to fully voiced skits, Tenebrae, and Marta's antics. So yes, while the Symphonia fandom is heavily divided over the merits of Dawn of New World, I personally think it's a worthy follow-up to the original. I think the developers managed to put an astounding amount of effort into this game, despite its time and money. <laughs>